Off the ball. Somebody says this is bizarre radio. Ice cream on a pancake. Tuna. <laughs> He's brought shame to the whole town, village where he lives. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. The comfort for him in this second half. Forward it goes again. By Kinsler. Quinn heads on. Oh, surely this time for Keane. And Ireland do it. Robbie Keane. In the second minute of stoppage time. Has scored the equaliser. Look at these scenes. Just look at these scenes. Iconic commentary from an iconic commentator. John Motson uh, from the World Cup 2002. A big moment. Uh, for Irish fans, many of whom would have been consuming it in different channels. Really nice to hear that. Come, Bowie, good morning to you. Just look at those scenes. Just look at those scenes. That's uh, just look at its face. Just look at its face. There is. That's the answer to it. Repeating the line makes it iconic almost in itself. I felt as if in the couple of seconds between saying it the first time and pausing, he was aware that for dramatic effect, another delivery would really hammer it home. Yeah, I think it's the rise and tone is required too. Too make it an iconic moment. Mm. But you and I were discussing uh, pre-show there the, the meaning of commentary and maybe we'll get to that later in the fire pit when Kathleen joins us. But I suppose uh, commentators are defined by their moments or i.e. the moments of the matches themselves. So if you're a commentator associated with an iconic moment in a great match, does that make you a great commentator? It really depends how you mm, react how to that moment. It. And Matty was kind of... Uh, I suppose an ever-present in our lives growing up, like he started the very early 1970s or 71, and then Ronnie Radford was 1972, the famous FA Cup goal, and he wasn't even meant to do that game. Well, and no. so fate occurred. He was, he was a last-minute fill-in. Well, he wasn't I'm supposed to do that. I don't, I'm not sure of the <laughs> details, I like, but I do uh, know that happened. Give me a response to that, actually. Answer. Yeah, he was a little um, bit... I well, well, it, the, well, I suppose like he is the, that commentary is iconic, as is the goal. Yeah. And he wasn't meant to be working that day, basically. So it was a sliding doors moment, and from there he got more and more... Uh, games and then the rivalry with Barry Davis over the years is fascinating they've each written about this in their respective autobiographies about that rivalry and how one got a bigger game over the other and how it really hurt the alternative yeah. commentator and they were kind of friends at the same time but uh, I, like, I, I just grew up with Matt and I, I suppose you did too I used to go we never had the channels um, when, we, when I was younger so I used to go across the neighbour's house for uh, apple tart and match of the day Mm. every weekend and it was such a highlight I mean at that age I don't know was the apple tart more the highlight um, than the football probably a little bit of both um, but the the um, yeah the people across the road he would have been my godfather he was a school principal very sort of you know a traditional Irish people um, but the football for, for a traditional Irish household the football was king and uh, and match of the day was king, and it was John Watson, and it was Barry Davis. I have to say, I would have always had a leaning more for Davis. That would have been that would have been my my thing at that time. Davis had more dulcet tones, I think. Well, well, you, know, you know, there's a, there's an instinct in you when you rehear an old commentary for, that brings you back, or that mm. captures you, or stops you in your stride. Well, that's always Barry Davis for me. There'd be a lot of commentators that would, you know, look. Matson was obviously there. He was like, the, as you said, there was a huge rivalry. He'd have been on every match of the day that was going, mm. but um. Was, Davis for me, yeah. Well, I know they, I think the BBC leaned towards Davis in the mid 1990s. So Davis got the 1994 World Cup final between Brazil and Italy, and Matson was devastated over that. And I think Davis got, I think, consecutive FA Cup finals around that time, too. So when United beat Chelsea, um, and then the following year when Everton beat United, mm -hmm. I think Davis was getting those games, and it just inspired Matson to return to bigger and better things. Well, it's rarefied air, like it's. 
there's only one only one person's getting the gig. And that's it it's, uh, it's the goalkeeper of journalism isn't it there's, uh, there's just there's only one gig going but as I was saying to you yesterday it was like football commentator is such a specific job mm. and as you said in response a rare one at that mm. um, but I think look it's like th- he didn't stay for decades just because he was in the building and he was handy to have around I think he really did add something and I was listening to the lads on the news round last night and unsurprisingly I think uh, Richie was brilliant on it because that's really his wheelhouse's mm. commentary and nostalgia I suppose in football and Richie I think summed up brilliantly by saying Matson was just so passionate about every single game he commentated on to the point where he had no discrimination about the quality of the game it was mm. just I'm so happy to be doing this job for a living mm. And uh, I hope I'm going to share that joy with you and I could bring you along for the journey. And that's, I think, why he lasted so, so long. 50 years of the BBC is just an incredible career and an incredible legacy. Um, and, like, certainly, the, you know, they talk about, I was listening to Mark Lawrence earlier this morning, he was talking about Marty's ability to capture the moment. And, like, that in itself is, creates iconic moments. And I do feel there are times where an iconic moment in a sporting event can be commentated on and regardless of how good or bad the commentary is it can become iconic because of the moment it's been commentated upon if you get me as in the commentary could be grand but it's accompanied like Messi scoring the goal in a World Cup final and it doesn't really matter what the, as long as you say something it's grand it's going to be It's but Maddie had an ability to sort of rise slightly above that I think so I, I think you're right that's what you were touching on at the start there is that if it is an incredible moment, that's 90% of the work done for the commentator. The really only thing you can do is mess it up, and obviously he never did. But I think that extra 10% is what separates the great commentators from the good. Anybody, and they understand that moment is coming, anybody and they can react. Do, anybody can do commentary. Well, you said that to me pre-show, and I was I don't know about that now. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 like anyone who's able to speak, yes. But I think anybody there's very few people that can actually commentate. Anybody can do commentary. Have but you doing it well, yeah. Doing it Have well, you? yeah. Doing it well is a different... <laughs> broke, right? Different... Uh, well, you've asked me, you asked me the question, I answered it, and then you re-asked me and I had to answer it again. No, but I didn't think you heard me. Yeah, no, I heard you. Have you commentated? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wandering into the cork carcass, now. The carcass yeah. coming out of you, which is great to see. Yeah. Um, do you mind me asking which games? <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? I did some. We might get um, it up there. I did some Heineken. No, you won't find them. I was doing some. I did some Heineken Cup commentaries. Okay, years ago, and it's very job. Any look at anybody can do anybody. Genuinely, anybody can do commentary. It's whether it can be done well or not. Of course, is a whole other thing, and it's um, a very subjective field. Of course, as well, like it's you know. Uh, you start to throw out names about I oh, like this guy or this girl yeah. you know so there's a bit of there's a lot of subject people feel also people feel so passionately about their commentary commentators. Yeah. we were discussing it yesterday on WhatsApp I've discussed yes. it a million times with mates colleagues this person's a commentary you know a, a, a bad commentator or a perceived bad commentator has the ability to ruin a match for me mm. you know what I mean like yeah. I'm like oh, my enthusiasm for this is like come down five decibels because of who's on commentary. I like, never thought I... Uh, look, we're probably eating into our fire pit time because I know we were, we're going to discuss I'm this. Back to but it later is what you're it's, uh, I think just, just to leave it at this is like, I thought that I, I kind of took commentators for granted and then I'd watch games in silence. You need the commentary. You need yeah. the commentary. Well, uh, it brings, that, you, it brings you along with it. Let's come back to it later. Also, uh, finally on John Matson, I associate him personally with Football Focus. Right. Saturday mornings on BBC. was well, Saturday midday. And they'd bring him on about halfway through the programme okay. and he'd be live at a stadium and it, it brings so much joy to I've me seen remembering that. Like three hours before, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. three hours and it was like, oh, it's the Goodison Park. For all, it just always rings a bell with the blue seats in the background and the famous fur coat or an iteration of it. 
and as you say he would set the scene and he just brought so much like youthful enthusiasm despite getting on in life mm. to the fact that he's a football commentator at the top level of the game and this is what he wanted to do and there's so few people in the world who actually end up getting to do what they want to do Would you like as to first touch. I don't know I talked to Nathan about this recently as well I was thinking I'd watch games at home sometimes and I'd commentate along just to see oh I wonder what I'll yeah. do this it's like Jesus tiring Five minutes into it, you like, your style of commentary would be, I would say, an acquired taste. <laughs> is that an unfair thing to say? Yeah, I think, on live I, on I air? think it's uh, desperately unfair. But I could see, live, I could see you like, um, especially live. Like when you react to the that's a goal. There's a goal. Rashford, <laughs> he scored a goal. It'd be just, it'd be all very matter of fact. <laughs> There's a goal. <laughs> no, no, no. I would. Uh, oh no, I could go to different maybe, levels. Maybe not for United. You might be a little bit more. There'd, no, be, no, I, there'd be no debate about. No, no, I wouldn't. Um, honest, honest to God, I could watch a game at home and I, I wouldn't react at all if there was a camera just on me watching a United game. You wouldn't know the difference if there that's was a That's what I mean. Not. You'd be deadpan like. All right. I There's a goal no, from no, the halfway I, line. I wouldn't be, no, be, no, no. That could be the greatest goal I've ever seen. I have several levels I can get to. I just, <laughs> oh, I've never, I've never he's eaten He's getting to. very defensive about no, something. No, that's not, like, uh, no, no, no. No, I'd invite you along to, uh, to see these different levels. I think we should this to do. try it out. I'll send you some voice notes. No, don't do that. I will, yeah. I will. I will. I'll send you some voice notes and I'll just give you different examples. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that later. Um, You're not busy, are you? This afternoon, no, no, probably no. not. Uh, I've been I've been trying to organise a paddle tennis. Oh yeah, we. we yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you sort of reach that age where you're like, what sort of sports that I can actually play here? And yeah. uh, you know, I I foresee a long paddle tennis career in in my future. Um, but uh, I've yeah, been trying man, to get you to yeah. buy into it, but you're not having it. Like your man says to me here recently, um, do you want to take up paddle? Do you want to play a game of paddle? Oh I yeah, said yeah. You wanna, I literally yeah, said do you want to go for a game. Do you want to give a paddle? I was like, yeah, yeah, no bother. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, it's just seventy euro for the bats there. I send it over whenever you have it. It's like, uh, it's like, is this some sort of extortion? Like, is is does this paddle actually? That's exist? all I could find on a on one what I would have considered to be a fairly um, accessible uh, sports provider, sports equipment provider. Yeah, well, luckily we have an associate mutual mm. who's done some research for us and has found a much more competitive price yeah. that we could actually fifteen take euro up. for a paddle, fifteen euro for a paddle. So anyway, but basically what we're saying is, does anybody out there? Because we really don't know what we're doing. We're like looking up the rules. It seems like you have to be you have to play doubles, which complicates things straight away. But uh, if anybody out there has an experience of playing paddle tennis uh, or knows what the hell they're talking about or can give us any guidance, um, we're we're here for it. Uh, absolutely no we are genuinely please, Chris was please in send contact in your information um, go ahead on YouTube saying Apple Tart and Match of the Day should be on a t-shirt oh naturally yeah yeah I mean, maybe it will now maybe there's a market opening for that um, there was also the there was also the thing of you know the way they talk about like Irish voices in the UK whether it's like a Terry Wogan or a um, Des Lynham mm. um, or the various Irish voices second I was like various Irish voices that were featured on the on the UK channels over the years and because they never sort of you could have been from Dublin or Cork or Galway or wherever people never really over there knew the difference between an an Irish accent anyway it was like well they're all the one although to be fair now the lads that I've mentioned there their voices their accents did very much sort of shift across the Irish channel at some point or another but equally I would say, like, you know, we never distinguish between, like, I couldn't tell you where John Watson actually came from. Yeah. Like, there was no, certainly growing up, there was no, like, um, he might be from London or Birmingham or, like, there was never, whereas I'm sure, actually, as an English person growing up watching that commentary, you probably always have an inkling of, that That informs your um, opinion, I suppose, on, on you know, what, how good a commentator is or otherwise. Whereas for us, it was just like, there was a homogeneity about it. 
Yeah, totally. But I think it was, yeah, just a general English accent, but it wasn't so much the, the even the the localization of any uh, of any form of where the guy was from. It was just it was more that I associate John Matson as the default commentator on football, mm. and he happened to be from England, and it wasn't there was definitely nothing specific about him. But he brought uh, Rasmus to the occasion, and I think I, I think he was very aware that he was doing that. I think he went out of his way to to carve that niche. Another thing about him is that, by all accounts, his preparation was second to none, like, unparalleled in well, that industry. Well, people used that to beat him with almost to a degree. Well, I suppose for the people who were more natural, they were like, you know, you don't need to do that much prep. But Clive Tilsley posted a video not long ago and it went viral on Twitter of his preparation for a match and there's pages and pages of handwritten notes. Mm. We never saw Matson's, but um, by all accounts from what you've heard um, from his peers, from anyone who worked with him, was that his um, research was very intense and long and he would be prepared for every sequence in a game uh, and also have stuff pre-prepared but also have the ability to react and like that Robbie Keane 2002 Germany moment like mm. I think we're all watching an RT I don't remember I don't think I watched that on the BBC but that goal for me is um, it's so etched in my memory because I always thought it went over I always thought Oliver Kahn saved it right. and I went over the bar and over the other side of the net Until and how, fell down. How long did it take you to realise that? Like a, I'd say three quarters of a second, okay, yeah. which is a long time mm. at that time. And it was only because of the reaction of everyone around well, me. I was, I was convinced say, yeah. the ball went over. Because yeah. so you just think like, good things can't happen. You know, good things don't happen. Well, I just thought we had lost our chance, you know, big time. The little pause to let the ball come past him a little bit before he... It's such, an, it's such an odd goal, Beautiful. how Oliver Kahn just stays in his line and yeah. Keane's about four yards away from him. Um, but luckily we had another game last night to talk about as well Fergus Kyo, uh, <laughs> Des, uh thanks producer did Des Lynham have an Irish accent I mean I, I take the point um, yeah I, I do take the point yeah. it was definitely there was a point where it was like somebody pointed out that he was from Clare and I was like alright wow I absolutely love Des yeah ah, he was smooth what were you like in commentary were you able to go up levels oh yeah I had loads of levels yeah would you know you're listening to Adrian Barry Oh yeah, um, would you? Yeah, yeah. You want to move on from this, do you? Uh, yeah, but from I, don't your eyes. I don't know where we're at. I don't know where we're going. Um, but we're going to talk about United you know, Barcelona last night because you're uh, you're excited about this one. And uh, what's not to be excited about? Watching if you sort of closed your eyes and ears to everything that's going on around United for the last what ten years, you would have been like, oh wow, well, United are still at this. Look at this Champions League semi final. Oh. Yeah, it was hard to believe it was like a Europa League last thirty two. I yeah. mean, both teams. Uh, up to a point we're going for it I felt that like obviously after half time Eric Ten Hag who's becoming more of a genius by mm. uh, every game that goes past and not afraid not a man afraid to make a decision at half time no. that, uh, that pays off in Spain thankfully yeah no there was a sense of increased jeopardy because the Europa League have changed the rules this season so that was a playoff rather than last 32 mm. to join the rest who were already in the last 16 I think that actually helped the tie it was brilliant brilliant tie over the two games um, the one at the new camp as well was extraordinary but this game is there was kind of an ominous air to it at the start because United did start well Bruno Fernandes had a great chance which he probably took an extra touch from and Ter Stegen saved it but Barca were coming into it and I mean the penalty was um, I don't think there was any debate at all about that penalty like it was stonewall for me I think it was a ridiculous challenge by Fernandes I saw a lot of debate uh, online I thought it was yeah. absolute I, I was actually Impressed that the ref gave that because it's such a foul that would have been given any any other area of the pitch, and a referee be very put your hands a referee be very tempted not to give that yeah. as a penalty. But it was Stonewall penalty for me, and then so t- <laughs> so close to here to saving that, and of course he's tied with Peter Schmeichel with the all time mm. clean sheet record for Manchester United. So what a way that would have been to get it. He made a couple of the League Cup final this Sunday. Saves last oh, brilliant! Night. Yeah, the header from um, Koundé as well in the second half. Class, but I like. 
as you say, Ten Hag's ability to react to something that's not working uh, is definitely the best that the club has seen since Alex Ferguson. So in the first half, there were two players in that United team who stood out for all the wrong reasons. And that was Vout Vegerst and Jadon Sancho, who were both liabilities, to put mm. it lightly. Like, you know, like United overall weren't playing that great. Fernandez, as Kathleen was mentioning pre-show, was, had a game of two halves and was... His, his kind of typical very frustrating self when he himself is very frustrated and takes out for all the wrong reasons but he came out in the second half was much better but the first half I thought Veghorst looked like he belonged in a different level like a couple of levels down just could not keep hold of the ball No and great surprise to anybody I don't think he, well, was he ever brought in with well, the intention of being like Well I mentioned to Clive Allen in the football kickoff, and I was like, "Is it was this the right signing?" And Clive was fairly adamant that it was because it gave them another dimension and an option, and it does because he doesn't fit the fit but the realm of the other players. Bench but, option when things yeah, have gone to crap. Yeah, you can say like that with Haaland. The Man City doesn't also fit the rest of the team, but it works. But yeah. with Vegas, I just don't think it does work. And with Sancho, it's strange because there's been so much love and support for him when he since he made a comeback from his hiatus from the squad and when he went over to the Netherlands on that uh, fitness camp and for the first two weeks of his return it's gone quite well and he scored against Leicester City last weekend the lovely finish but last night he just looked like he looked like he didn't want to be there mm. at the end of the first half he didn't want the ball and Dave McIntyre and Jerry Armstrong were saying on commentary and it was actually Dave who alerted me to it that Very good commentator. every time Sancho's getting the ball he's giving it away and I'm not talking like uh, because he's trying ambitious passes or true balls or anything like that. I'm talking passes from me to you, and it would be the wrong way to pass to a Barcelona player would intercept it. Mm. And he looked like he wanted to get off the pitch, but he lasted an hour. Um, so there's there is something in Ten Hag that he has this ability to never mind any personal connection with any players or perceived bias or maybe a player would take it the wrong way. They, you are out if you're not performing. And Rio Ferdinand actually met Bruno Fernandes this week and interviewed him and talked about just that. And Fernandes was calling out the players that Ten Hag was ruthless with. The big one being Cristiano Ronaldo. He was like, Ten Hag, when he came in, this is Fernandes' words, was saying, you like, if people don't adhere to what I want them to do, they're out of the team. And Fernandes was saying, he and his teammates were like, yeah, we'll see, basically. Exactly, well, yeah, everybody yeah, was saying, yeah, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, it was like, we'll see. Well, well, all that played out right up until the end, people were like, well, we'll see. And then Ronaldo started the season, uh, I think he, he started against Brentford in that now infamous 4-0 defeat and played a few more games and was dropped unceremoniously. And then that's when they knew, OK, this guy's not joking. And they did the same with Marcus Rashford. Mm-hmm. Not too long ago, away to Wolves at Molyneux, when Rashford was late for a team meeting, dropped unceremoniously. Comes off the bench. Comes off the bench, scores the winner. Mm-hmm. So he had this ability to... Um, just to get the most out of his players but it's so funny because at the very start of the season if you take back to Ten Hag uh, a lot of people were complaining at the fact that he didn't have much charisma and he didn't give an awful lot away yeah. in press conferences and when Ronaldo gave that interview to Piers Morgan he says he doesn't respect Ten Hag and at the time the results were so-so so you could be on the fence you could go with Ronaldo you might I think anybody who's siding with Ronaldo after that like but perception is everything mm-hmm. because now we're three months on and the results have been phenomenal and all of a sudden Ten Hag is the epitome of Winning calm and composure. Winning is everything. So they're using his perceived lack of charisma from six months ago to say that this guy does not get affected by anything and plays at his own level and didn't go crazy with celebrations when the final whistle went last night. Kind of expected that should be the ah, result. Ah, come on. You know, by his standards, he was like happy Ah, out. no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, he, he was, was up out. to the bench. Everybody that was coming off, he was like... he was a, like, No, no, I'm saying he was... I, um, I did note that, that they all came down. St- having Steve McLaren is hugely warm. No, he was delighted. I did note that Harry Maguire came down just after Steve McLaren and had a head in him like a smacked arse. He was like... Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I would have thought for... No, still club captain? Yes. Like, yeah. come on. 
Um, to go back to that, he was, I'm not saying he wasn't happy, of course, he was de- like delirious, I'm sure, internally, because everything's working out so well. Everything's coming up Millhouse for Ten Hag. Mm. But he didn't display any massive amount of uh, euphoria or affection. I, I don't think, anyway, by the general standards of a manager that might react to a result like that. On the Maguire point, that's another good example of the clarity in the situation and the decisiveness that Ten Hag has. It's like, no, this guy's out. Where in previous regimes, yeah. he was mostly in and the odd time out. Now he's it's it's now it's noteworthy if Maguire plays. He played against Leeds recently, and I raised my eyebrows at that. Mm. Um, so he doesn't play him too often. But it, look, it's going really well. And I remember thinking, I think Pochettino would be the right man for United. Not sure, too sure about Ten Hag because he's done it in the Eredivisie with Ajax. But does that mean he can transition it to the Premier League? It's going well. Please, hmm? you know that he ends his interviews with please. Does he? Yeah, if you know what it says. No. I did text this to you about a couple yeah, of months ago. Like, you were like, what's no, that all about? You texted me um, yesterday, please. No, yeah. yeah. Um, he, he, I think he stopped doing it, which is really disappointing. Like, keep doing it. It's like, uh, but uh, winning papers over everything. The charisma point, as soon as you're winning everything, it's like everything you do now is, needs to be copied and this is genius. And oh, I, totally. I, I don't want to read, like, you don't want to make too many harsh decisions after one game, but it's probably not based off one game. And look at Baghorst is only in as a temporary measure anyway. Let's face it, he was brought in as... Absolutely. Like, so he, he'd be... There's no big deal about him going anyway. But Sancho, like, increasingly looks like there's not going to be any room for him at United. And uh, Maguire, surely another one to follow. Lindelof, um, not Lindelof, um, Lingard and Ronaldo out the gap. Lingard for sure. Ronaldo gone. Uh, Maguire gone. If he stays, I'd be shocked. Sancho, there's probably just a little bit left. He has the talent, but the bottom with Sancho is his head. Mm. He just doesn't seem to have any self-belief, which is surprising considering what he achieved at Borussia Dortmund. Like his stats at Dortmund are incredible, and that's not exactly a low standard of league. So he was able to do it at a high level, but it's just not worked for him at United so far. And I suppose if it doesn't work under a manager as hot right now as Ten Hag, then Sancho could be in trouble with his future at the club. But he really stood out for me last night, and being he looked out of his depth, like which is mm-hmm. something I never thought I'd say about Sancho in terms of his technical ability. But technically, he was all over the shop last night. And the th- because the way that Ten Hag has brought on, like you look at the players last night, there was a touch that. Rashford had at one point in the second half I don't remember the crossfield ball coming from a height oh, sort of half I noticed his shoulder, it. Yeah. and he takes a touch oh. he's so nonchalant about the whole thing but just a player oozing with confidence so obviously Ten Hag is getting that out of his players to infuse them with this belief and confidence um, and support which if in that environment Sancho hasn't uh, flourished in previous environments can flourish in that environment well, well can you imagine how bad he feels about himself if everybody else is flourishing around him but he's yeah. not so that will actually make him worse again because you look at say someone like Aaron Wan-Bissaka lost cause last season he's come on leaps and bounds this year and what he's done is he's just simplified his game very crisp one touch passing two touch at the most Ten Hag's getting the most out of him uh, shout out to for Fred what a what, what form he's on their fridge as Richie yeah. pronounced it touched with his bad foot finished with his bad Richie foot two minutes into the second half in Brazil. with Richie over this side of the world because I'd say Fred uh, 7.53 it's OTBM and we're delighted to have you along with us uh, this morning here's what's going on uh, over the show for this morning we've Ronan Agar standing by he's going to join us uh, very shortly to look ahead to round three of the Six Nations uh, we're going to be joined by Daniel Harris we'll have a bit more reflections on the action and the Europa League last night looking ahead as well to the league final uh, on Sunday Alan Quinlan has been floating around outside the door in the last couple of moments so I presume is itching to get in um, and uh, talk some rugby for you a little bit later on we'll have a Friday fire pit as usual at ten past nine this morning and then Brian McDermott, the former Reading manager, was in conversation with Nathan on the show last night. It's a brilliant watch. Yeah. And uh, that'll be coming your way at half past nine. OTBM, of course, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. What are you pointing at? That Brian McDermott interview is fantastic. Very good. We are biased, but it really is. Ronald Gary, good morning to you. Guys, good morning. How are you keeping? Good morning. 
you're in form anyway. Why, have we talked to you before about who who you as, if you have a soccer team that you support? Of course, um, Liverpool. Liverpool. I'm you even asked. <laughs> you mentioned it in your uh, examiner so column. You're, you're delighted at um, at United's resurgence. Um. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, because it's grown up in Cork. That was the Liverpool Man United. You supported one or the two. Obviously, there was a few outliers that supported Everton or, as Paul O'Connell does, or uh, someone like that. Uh, but, yeah, of course, the Premiership is was huge in my uh, generation. Huge. We talk a lot about like getting the best out of players. Are you watching what Ten Hag is doing there at the minute? Like in the, we were just talking about like United. Um, Colin was saying United are the best they've been since Fergie was there, and he seems to be getting out, getting much better out of players who were looking a little bit average before he arrived. Do you watch stuff like that and pay yeah, attention? Yeah, I was to watching it, it too. I, I think also it was it was quite evident, even though it felt like the old Old Trafford last night, even before a ball was kicked. There was a, a kind of an eerie anticipation, silence. Um, let's let's get into these guys. Watching Man United probably up to last night, you felt that it was a little bit off. It was I was probably more taken by your uh, confidence conversation um, because that for me is 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 the key to everything in 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 sport uh, and the fact that. Uh, when it rolls and when it's easy and then you feel like you're doing exactly the same thing in a game it can be narrowed even down to the the, the technical side of goal kicking but even in, a, in the a player's flow of a game without any of those I suppose set piece skills when you have confidence how easy the game is you don't even you're just kind of going autopilot and you play but if you have that in soccer's term for 11 or in football for 15 or sorry in rugby for 15 um it becomes so interesting because you're not in confidence all your career. That is, I suppose, the big difference for how the public perceive the robotic performances as opposed to the emotions and carrying a niggle or out of form of a, of a, of a sportsman. Have you seen an example like Jaden Sancho yourself where teammates around him are flourishing, but he's not, even though he has technical ability? Have you seen like a former teammate or even one of your own players now go through something like that? Yeah, I do. You know what I mean, and he because he's a, a a big player for me, and because he's a good guy, and I like him a lot. Greg Aldred is probably in that situation at the minute, in the fact that he didn't uh, rip it up because of the standard he's created against Italy. He gets taken off after fifty minutes in Ireland. Um, you know, Caelan Doris was the guy who stole the show. The opposite number of Caelan Doris is Greg Aldred. Greg Aldred is a is a fantastic rugby player, but at the minute he's doing it tough. But I know it'll come good if he kind of stays true to what he believes in, if he keeps up his his uh, work rate uh, on the ball, off the ball, but also has a, um, a good kind of lifestyle off the pitch. You, you can never be uh, nine out of ten every game. I think what the great players do is that they're when on bad days they have, you know what I mean, they hit a five or a six while... Early on, it was evident when I was trying to, I suppose, understand the mental side of the game. I could have a nine, but then the next week you can have a two. But not alone does it break you, but it also breaks your forwards because if they have a kicker, we'll say in rugby's term on the pitch, where you know I mean they've given everything to win a scrum penalty, they're shattered. Then okay, the captain points at the posts, uh, upsets Raj, and you miss it. It, it, it not alone does it eat away at you, but it also eats at them mm. subconsciously when 
that call comes for we need a scrum penalty, are they really at 100%? Because do they fully believe that you're going to kick it over the bar? So, you know, I think that's, if you can get a handle on that, you'd be, you'd be the next genius coach. Yeah. Have you been in a situation where you're standing over the ball, it's a penalty, 75th minute, and all you're thinking is about, I don't want to leave my teammates down, rather than the technique of the kick itself? Yeah, of course, but that's the that's the that's a stage one of development of, of I suppose getting on the kicking ladder in the fact that, as you know from previous conversations, probably in the seventy eight minute, I was hoping that this decisive penalty wouldn't be ordered uh, ordered to you because <laughs> you're you're trying to escape and, and not putting that. But then it's a learning process. Then at the end of your career, or when you're feeling good, you just you you crave that moment and you crave close games and you're kind of pissed off if it's oh, if you're in a runaway lead, you know, because oh no, well I'm not going to be really put uh, in a clutch position here, and that's I suppose the sickness of the be- or the beauty of the mind, depending how you look upon it. There's an obvious segue here, so I'm going to take it into Ross Byrne this weekend and like the journey that he's been on running over the last like couple of years. Some interesting stuff from during the media uh, from the media bits during the week, where he was asked about like the improvements in his game, and he was kind of like, well, the, "My game hasn't actually improved that much. It's more like what you've been saying about me has not been that accurate, and now it's, that's all coming to bear." But equally, like the confidence of that he must be getting, that must be flowing through him at the minute from seemingly been the number two and you know the man to take over after Sexton um, and hitting his timing right there must be like that must be the confidence surging through him at the minute must be massive it is exactly but I think there's probably another chapter I, I, I don't think he's um, he's anywhere near his optimum level in the fact that I, I think I'd love to actually hear what he really has to say because mm. I'd say he's hurting a lot he, he's been uh, pilified in 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 Irish sport, never mind Irish rugby, and the fact that how how was this guy kind of even number two in Leinster was some of the chat if I if I was to recall it accurately, and he was uh, bashed, but he is um, that's why you know people always in the environment are the best people to judge because uh, I mean they you see whatever minimum a hundred minutes of them every day, be it in. Um, a kind of a technical session or in an actual rugby session so you have a fair idea so but I don't have the data at the hand but his uh, contribution to Leinster has been quite staggering in the fact I suppose how many big games he's played and how many big moments he's had and then um, there was probably um, only in the last well 10 Irish games like people are very too quick to forget that they like uh the start of the Andy Farrell era, there was people kind of going, oh, this isn't working. Yeah. Mm. We'll take a pause and I'll repeat that. There was people, plenty of them going, uh, no, there could be a call for change here, you know? So yeah. now all of a sudden it's gone completely uh, the opposite of that and the perception is probably uh, over-positized, uh, if that even is a word, I don't think so, over-exaggerated uh, potentially, is that what I'm looking for? Mm. And... Um, uh, in the middle of all that has been the role of um, of Ross Burnham. Um Anyone knows that you you know playing number ten, you need huge amounts of resilience, and and thankfully he has that because I would say there was many moments where he was nearly broken. But uh, you know, what I hope he will show on Saturday will be the fact that um, you mean that there's life after Johnny, and I can take this team, and we can get to where we want to with this team, and I think he's earned that at, at uh, club level with Leinster but because of his 
it's his first start in a Six Nations, I think, after breaking on six years ago. Um, so he just he needs uh, he needs that opportunity, and Saturday will be an opportunity because it'll be a tougher game than people think. I I, I feel anyway. Is it a positive or a negative that he's playing alongside in the halfback partnership someone as inexperienced, equally inexperienced at Six Nations level as Craig Casey? I think too much is um, at times um, call him too much is uh, emphasised or, or stressed on partnerships. It's about getting your role right. Yeah, you need your nine and you need to be humming with them. But like what we will be established in the relationship already during the week will be you have a fair idea of what his strong points are, how he likes to play the game. And then you probably, from a tens point of view, is that, well, similar enough to play me with, um, you know, Peter Stringer, you knew you'd have the ball a lot. You're going to get the ball a lot. okay? But then uh, someone like maybe uh, Tomas, uh, he'd be a bit of a hogball at times because he'd, he'd, if it was nice, he, he'd uh, take it on, have a cut himself. And then if he didn't like it, he'd lash it out to you or do something with that, Raj. <laughs> <laughs> a hogball so, is a new one on me. It's character. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's hogging the ball, that fella. Get it away from him. <laughs> um, sorry, we're... We're on national radio. My apologies. <laughs> you have um, like a uh, somewhat unique experience in that, like obviously you got to see Ross Byrne up close for whatever it was, twenty minutes or so, um, in uh, Marseille last year. Now maybe unusual experience in that, like Leinster were backtracking uh, due to your own uh, strangling of the game for for maybe much of that, and you don't get the proper view that you might like. But I was interested, Andy Farrell talking during the week. He was talking about like he's earned Byrne earned the right to start, earned the right to run the team. Like, that's the nub of it, isn't it? Like, because we're not looking anymore for somebody to just come in and be like a half Johnny Sexton. We're looking for somebody to come in and, and stamp their personality on proceedings. Yeah, and you need that too, because like the reality is going into knockout rugby when you're playing brutal games, if you want to win a World Cup, you, you, you need to be three deep. That That is exactly it. So, you know, Johnny is obviously the key man, but then is it... I think it's most definitely... Um, Ross Byrne, who has probably created uh, a, a unique role for himself in the fact in Test Rugby, I think his game management, his line kicking and his goal kicking are, are world class. So like that's very, very important when you come to Cup Rugby. I think people misunderestimate Autumn Internationals for Cup Rugby. So when you get to a World Cup, it's Cup Rugby at a certain stage because it's obviously knockout. So the mentality becomes different. So um, how you, I suppose... Um, create or select your best 10 backs uh, or is it 9 backs sometimes potentially and if you go 6-2 in your best mm. 23 uh, I mean Ross Byrne is an invaluable um, uh, asset but also the fact I think we we also have to recognise he has made uh, one key improvement in his game and that he's he's got much better at Picking the right pass, but also playing flash. I think as as a ten, yeah. you need to be able to take on the line. If you're just distributor, 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 it's easier to push off him. But uh, he has changed that with his alignment. Uh, would obviously uh, him probably having a look at his video analysis, but also with a good bit of good coaching and uh, like I think. Uh, he's pr- it's probably underappreciated his 30 minutes against France. That game was still in the balance. You yeah. have to remember that at 26-19, wasn't it? it was, it's still a one-score game. 
Yeah, uh, and night, like yeah. you have uh, obviously from playing, I know well that if France, the away team, scored at 26 26, mentally it feels like if you're in green, you're behind because the momentum shift to the away team, and I suppose with the among the French people that were in the ground that day, that that's uh, that's an equation that he has to play out in his head to make sure he keeps the scoreboard ticking. Is Byrne in a difficult position here, Ronan, ahead of tomorrow? Because all expectations is a fairly comprehensive victory over Italy. So what can he do to stand out as this is genuinely impressive? Because maybe, like, is it something to do with the control of the game I, rather than his kicking? I would think the biggest error he would make would be looking to stand out. Well, I think what's he, why he's appreciated and why he's trusted is he gets his job done. What does getting his job done, like managing his team around the pitch? I mean, if he tries to play, uh, for example, a game where, and I was in that category as well, where you may look to play, for example, like um, uh, Felipe Contepomi could play, uh, maybe he's not the best example, but Felipe Contepomi was a top-class 10 that could play brilliant, I suppose, cup rugby, but he was maybe suited fantastically to the barbarian style of rugby. While I am not suited to the barbarian style of rugby, Ross Byrne is more uh, a strategist as opposed to a flair player. If he tries to, um, you mean, rip up the line five times, which we probably haven't seen in any game at any level, for me, that would be trying to appease the perception as opposed to uh, drilling home and nailing his strong points. But, yeah, like, would he be in danger of uh, thinking, well, if I just do my job, I'm back out next time because it won't be enough. I'll really have back to stand out, out here. Back out in, in place of who? Uh, well, obviously Sexton, but even in the future after Sexton, if I need to stand out for the rest of my competition, who's going to be the future Ireland 10 after the World Cup, say? I need to do more than just my job. I That's... Believe me, that won't be anywhere near his radar tomorrow. Aye. That's the Cork we, arrogance uh, coming out in Cullum there, Ronan. That's no, 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 it's, no, 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 it's just no, the mindset. It, it's an interesting question in the fact that, like, sports people, they live in the short term. If you if you kind of remove the five-day target from you, 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 you kind of, like, you, you, you miss the boat. You got, like, that's exactly what they're excellent that has been really selfish and looking after their individual preparation to get the best out of them Saturday maybe Sunday morning it's a different conversation because we have a different set of evidence to I suppose dissect but for me he uh, he needs to uh, get flow into his team and he needs to um, marshal them around the pitch and kick his goals and then uh, you can be sure his manager will be happy with him What's the um, general mood in France at the minute, Ronan? Obviously, the, uh, at home to Scotland on Sunday should be an absolute belter, but the stuff hasn't gone exactly maybe like they would have uh, would have hoped over the last few weeks. Uh, everybody assuming that it's uh, just give it time, it comes good? Yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it's the times we live in now and the fact that um, you know, France were on a run of 14 games. Um, they've won defeat and there's plenty of, I suppose... Um, deep analysis of, of where it all went wrong in Dublin. So from basically being world leaders and favourites for the World Cup, it's now Ireland that are the best at everything in, in the press over here. So um, maybe I think um, 
what they may underestimate is probably a confident Scottish side this weekend. Um, never have I suppose we on this program or I will obviously Scotland will have it at first that they've won two Six Nations game in succession. So um, their juices are flowing. They're going to a fantastic uh, stadium on, on on Sunday to play their game with Finn Russell, obviously. Um, an inside mole on everything about French rugby. So they have a few aces up their sleeves. And um, France have a few injuries, a few suspensions, and um, a few players out of form for me, but uh, still remain um, incredibly, um, I suppose, uh, unpredictable in their capacity to entertain. Mm. Your uh, I, your games are scheduled right in the middle of those games, which is a bit weird. You've Breve uh, tomorrow. I know you're not going to tell me that it's uh, money in the bank. Of course, they're bottom of the table. Um, and you're back on the touchline and staying there. <laughs> I, I haven't blinked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the question? Uh, the question exactly. That's, that was a question mark at the end of that. If I, if I, was, well, I, I I'm, stay, I'm staying on the touchline, I hope. So, yeah, that's, that's the goal. You know, it's... Things went well for you last week. They they they, they relented a little bit. Um, yes, they did. Yeah, yeah. Well, sorry, I also wasted a day, a full day, uh, getting to Paris and going to a hearing. So you know that was quite painful, obviously. But the end result was good. But the deeper question is why why are you uh, subjected to this hearing? But that's for another day. Um, yeah. So we had a good win and cast away. Um, and uh, obviously for people at home who don't follow it as much as you do, but the top 14 now, um, it's, I think, is it ahead of the premiership in the fact that uh, since um, the start of this season in September, is it, there's been four managers sacked in the middle of, uh, in the, middle of the season. Ronan, do you know what turns 16 today? Who turns 16? Yeah, do you know what turns 16 today? It's an anniversary. Um, no, go on. Ireland 43, England 13 at Croke Park, 2007, 24th of February. What are your memories of that unbelievable game? Why do you ask me the question on the 16th birthday? That's a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's just the anniversary today, sir. We have you. Call him in one there. It's a bit odd. <laughs> well, I was, I was hoping it was the 15th or the 20th, but sure, we have you here. Yeah, it's exactly. the days. And if but I didn't then, ask you, I'd regret it. So. What I got, and that's the car queerness. He's trying to stand out now, Rona. That's easy. He I gets, doing he, a Ross He's Byrne. got his shot here, and he's because trying to stand Shane, out. Shane just do your job, Cullum. Sexton's back in next time. Yeah. Joe was good during the week there with Liam Hayes, so now Cullum is on the I think it's a very legitimate question like there was a seismic moment in sport and you played it sure was but sure I, there was so many of them you know but that was uh, incredibly special yeah mm. um, it was um, oh the feeling you know just standing there in Crow Park and, and the anthems and then the English anthem and you wouldn't hear uh, there mm. was complete and utter silence it was spectacularly good but that's so many days you know because you move on and you move on and you move away you kind of sometimes you can't st- I hate looking back I absolutely hate looking back it's one it's my big no but um, when you see all clips of it it's it's particularly special yeah considering um, I mean the history associated with that ground as well obviously 
I was in the crowd that day and there was the concern during the English anthem was that some Egypt or somebody somewhere was going to do something or say something and in such a size of a crowd who knows what goes on people have a couple of pints in them whatever was that uh, concern amongst the players were you thinking about it or talking about it or yeah because it was discussed I suppose during the week and um, I think we all had that apprehension and the fact that like if you have however um, was it 80,000 mm. people in the ground or was it I don't know you know Maybe, but yeah. Uh, it's a lot of people packed into a very small area. So if something uh, negative was to happen, it could be a potentially horrendous situation. So, I mean, that's the very, very uh, deep negative side of, of, of your thoughts in game day. But, you uh, I mean, for the anthems, obviously, that was... Uh, people weren't too sure how they would kick off, but I think... Um, the respect shown and the silence shown just uh, brought the decibel level to unheard levels in Crow Park before before any sporting occasion I was involved in anyway, you know, just when you're kind of the referee kind of blows his whistle, OK, we can start and then the crowd just launch in behind you, you know, it was it was um, great times. Yeah, incredible. Ronan, thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Great to chat. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Ronan. Right. Aaron the land there uh, from La Rochelle. Had a pretty interesting weekend um, in the rugby. Colm trying to make it all about himself as usual. Come on now, please. Can we ask about the under-20s, please, lads? Says Dan, we'll uh, run Quinlan on just a little bit and uh, we will do just that. Um, what else have we got here? John O'Dee. Fatty did United a favour too by taking that one off Lewandowski's head in the last minute. I did think that mm. and I actually thought that Lewandowski followed through with a bit of a nudge on Fatty as if to say... Give him a shout. Take it out. Take Sunday it. League football. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. Bob's ball. Bob. But you think that's what he goes by? He was, yeah. Bobby Lewandowski. Uh, someone just suggested Sweet 16. That was the anniversary. So it was illegitimate. You know? Anyway, that's there's, just there's uh, a lovely, added the, words just to like oh, legitimize some, it a bit yeah, more. Some, anyway, you have a lovely read there. <laughs> uh, it's a quarter past eight. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTPM. We're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We've loads uh, still to come. We're going to be joined by Alan Quinlan. What are you laughing at now? Go ahead. We're uh, joined by Alan Quinlan in a little bit. We're going to have um, Ashling O'Reilly on the line from Rome, obviously ahead of the big game this weekend. We're going to have the Friday Fire Pit. I'm not 100% sure what's in the mixer this week, but uh, a couple of amazing uh, topics, no doubt. And um, we'll have Daniel Harris after these. Listen to OTB AM live every weekday morning from 7.30 on your smart speaker. Just ask Alexa to play OTB Sports Radio. It's 70 minutes past 8. It's Friday morning. You're welcome along to OTBM. We've loads still to come. Uh, Liam Griffin as well, by the way, is going to join us in a little bit uh, to talk all things hurling his defeated motion from GA Congress last week and we'll get to that and plenty more as well. So it is, as I said, uh, 70 minutes past 8 and Daniel Harris is on the line. Good morning, Daniel. Hello. Lots to get to from last night, needless to say. Um, but before all of that, you've um, been reminiscing, as we all have here uh, last night and again this morning, about the late, uh, great John Matson who passed away yesterday. Yeah, I mean, Motti was, I mean, he's, for people of my age, I'm 43, he was the voice of our childhood, where we kind of, we caught the end of David Coleman, and then there was a bit of Tony Gubber, a bit of, um, bit of Alan Parry, and obviously Barry Davis, but John Watson was the BBC's lead commentator for so many years that he was just the voice of football. And the thing about it that was different, I guess, to now is that you didn't get much football on. But most of the football that you did get was on the BBC, so it was Motson. So him and Brian Moore were the, the the two voices that you heard all the time. So just just hearing those voices kind of 
gets introduces frisson to strides because football was on television was a relative rarity in those days. So it was always a kind of celebration when it was on. And Motti was the voice of that and the voice of so many massive moments, whether things that I experienced at the time or things that I experienced by learning the history of football, which I think I was talking to a friend actually yesterday who was saying, because there's so much football on now, like he was saying his son doesn't really need to bother with that, with watching old match of the day videos in the way that, the way that I did when I was growing up, because there's so much that he can consume right now. But when that wasn't the case, I kind of, I was devouring, Motti did these BBC videos. They, they were the, the best of match of the day, the 60s, 70s and 80s. And I just absolutely rinsed those because there wasn't enough football on normal television to satisfy my voracious appetite for it. He was like, obviously, as with any commentator, it's such a subjective thing. And, they, you know, particularly at the profile, like you're talking about, there was there was no other option. So everybody had an opinion on him. And some, you know, there were detractors. Some people would have said he, he lent a little bit too heavy on the stats. But to have been a commentator at the BBC for 50 years and like an ability, I heard Mark Lawrenson talking about it um, this morning, an ability to capture the moment. I think, yeah, it's not even just about capturing the moment, although that's obviously part of it. It's the commentary is also it's company if you're watching a game on your own or even if you're watching a game with other people and what what all the commentators of my childhood have that i don't think we have now and it sounds you don't want to be like the middle-aged man you're saying well when i was a lad and everything now is really crap but if i think about the commentators who i grew up with so that was mainly um john watson brian moore and uh, barry davis and also a bit of peter brackley those guys they had character they had personality so you talk about watson and the stats I preferred Barry Davis. I thought Barry Davis was a cleverer commentator, more interesting to listen to. But Motson had personality. And so you felt like watching a game being done by Motson, you knew what you were going to get and it felt good company. It was warming. It was comforting. It was exciting. And that, I think, is the major difference between those commentators and the commentators that we have now, where it all feels like it's quite, quite much harder to differentiate between them, although I know what the voices are. And there aren't very many of them that I look forward to listening to. We've still got Clive Tilsley who, and Peter Drury, who, again, you may or may not like the way that they do it and their particular spin on what commentary is, but it feels like what you, you know what you're going to get from them because it's going to be distinct from what you get from the other guys. And that level of personality gives you that level of, that gives you that ability to build a, a personal relationship with them. And as though you kind of know them, as though they're company, they're friends, whatever you want to, whichever you want to look at it. And Motson absolutely had that. And it wasn't just because he was on all the time. He was on all the time because he had that. Where does Matson sit in your all-time uh, commentators for you? Um, third or fourth, I would say, behind Barry Davis, Clive Tildesley and um, Brian Moore. But that, the, the, the standard was the standard was high. So saying he was fourth isn't like saying he wasn't good because just those those other guys were also brilliant. So the standard the standard the same on the radio. I mean, I grew up listening to loads of radio and still do and loved the radio commentaries. And the standard of the radio commentaries was also brilliant. You had Ron Jones, Peter Jones, Mike Ingham, Peter Slater, and that's just doing the football. You had loads of people that were excellent. So giving it a one, two, three, four, you could do it. But number four would still be really excellent. We've been getting a bit of criticism in the comments this morning, Daniel, for our criticism of Jaden Sancho's performance last night. We weren't too impressed with his uh, possession retention. Were we right? Uh, no, he didn't. It wasn't a good night for him. But he still contributed to the first goal significantly with the kind of pass that you want to see him play, a fast attacking pass. Um, he, 
he didn't he didn't play well, but I also felt like he, he didn't play well in the first half when United didn't have that much of the ball. So he's not someone you would expect to go and get the ball. He's someone who is should have the ball given to him, and that didn't particularly happen. But ultimately, it's team game, and Fergie always used to say that you get a kind of performance where everyone plays well, hardly ever almost in your career. And so it wasn't for him, it wasn't his day to play well yesterday, but most of his mates did, so they got him out of it. And that's how teams work. And he still contributed. He still made one very significant contribution. Anthony coming on from Vegas at half time, an obvious change and totally different style of players. But what for you did Ten Hag actually tactically change to improve the performance so quickly in the second half? I think it's two things. You've got tactical changes and then you've also got mental changes. You've got the change that he made where he swapped the front three around, where Rashford went up front and obviously say Vegas came off and then you had Sancho to the right, sorry, Sancho to the left. Um, and Bruno in the middle and Anthony to the right. So you're just changing the questions that you're asking defenders and you're changing the kind of combinations that the defenders are going to see. But I'm sure he's also telling them to play with greater intensity, to run faster, to run harder, because that's one of the things you know about United, that it's going to be physical. If you play this team, then they're going to ask you some physical questions. You're going to get tackled and you're going to have to run. You're going to have to run fast and hard a lot. And they didn't do that enough in the first half. So there's that person, there's the changes of personnel and there's a change of tactics. And I think one of the things that United now have is when you have a lot of flexible attackers, you can just swap stuff around and see what works. And part of me is saying these are brilliant changes by 10 half. The way he reads the game is sensational and it is. And there's like a voice in my head saying, well, why don't you get it right at the beginning then? So there is also a little yeah, bit of yeah. that, but when you, when you just, when you have loads of flexible players, you have the options of, swapping players on and off because you've got depth and you've got options in terms of personnel, but you've also got options in terms of players who can play in three or four positions across the front. So if the first question, you get an answer to it, ask a different one. And Ten Hag isn't shy about changing the conversation in terms of the, in terms of the questions that he's asking to torture the metaphor even further. And you're seeing differences when he does that because you've got all these different players who have got really different and varied abilities. And so, okay, if you're... Marcus Rashford's not working for him out on the left, well, then he can go up front. And then you can, you can, the combination play will change at that point as well. And I think that you have, particularly Bruno and Rashford, have a really good relationship on the pitch. So when they're near to each other, I think United are likely to be more dangerous. He's also said the standard out now is being absolutely cutthroat. Like he makes that substitution at halftime. I know you say, and John Giles would often say it on this, uh, on the show, you know, if you're making that substitute early, that's more on you than it is on them. But equally, I mean, at that level, particularly that game last night, he's setting out a stall consistently now that he'll be cutthroat. And that's a, you can even listen to some of the players after the game last night. Like that is a serious mindset shift for that group to be in now. Well, I think the difference here I mean, the, re- relative to all the other managers before is that Ten Hag has options. So Ole used to cycle through the same players. He'd, get, he'd f- focus on the team, then he'd try, and it would usually have McFred in it because that was the only thing he could find that worked. He'd then, it then wouldn't work, and then he'd cycle through some more options. Same with Mourinho, same with Van Gaal. Whereas the difference between them and Ten Hag is that there are tactical differences, I'm sure, and differences of coaching, but the real difference, the biggest single difference is that Ten Hag signings have worked, all of them. And so because of that, it means that he's got more players. So he's got players that are able to cover up the errors that he might make, or just if the opposition are just defending well, then he's got options to change things. He's even he's got options in defence as well. So the thing that he has that the other players don't have is proper competition for places where if you don't play well, you're out. And if you get out, then the person that comes in, there's a good chance they're going to play well. And none of the other managers have had that because 
more or less they all made a mess of their they all made a mess of their signings. Hasn't he shown more balls than all the other managers that were there before him as well? Like I mean, the Ronaldo stuff is a really obvious one, but the easy thing to do last night was to not make that substitute at half time because it, it encourages conversations like this where people go, Well, maybe he got that wrong. But actually right, but imagine we, imagine you're not like get beat. If you're not yeah. get beat, then we're having a different conversation. But, but the confidence and, and, and comfort to know that you know, it feels like he's he's running the clock. I mean, he's not. Nobody's ever going to be Fergie again. But it feels like he's not worried. He's not looking over his shoulder in a way that a lot of the previous uh, people in his position were. A hundred percent. I said this to a friend last night. He is absolutely running team. That he's just he's in control of everything, and he's doing it in a different way to how Fergie did it, and a different way to lots of managers do it. His method seems to be that the players know that he means what he says and that he's tough. But also, he's just, he just seems like a nice guy. The way that he interacts with the TV people, the media, the way that you just see him talking to people and about people is that he's always poking the players and challenging, to, challenging them to do a little bit more and that he's tough with them. But also, he's a nice guy and he's fair. And, it, and he, the things that he says happen. He's, he's right most of the time with what he tells them to do. And with players, as soon as they start seeing results, they'll start thinking, well, I need to respect this guy because... What he says is happening. He's making them better. And yeah, he's just in total control of the club. And he has been more or less since the time he arrived. He took those two games. And since then, United have been excellent. They've been saying that the form is championship form. And they've been doing things they haven't done for years. I mean, just take the start against Barcelona. They should have won the first leg and from behind. And they did win the second leg from behind. And the ability to retrieve those deficits, not to panic, to have faith in what you're doing and to be able to execute under pressure is something that we haven't seen in a very long time. You mentioned options there, Daniel. He has plentiful. What's your uh, starting front three if everyone's fit and it's a big game? It depends. I mean, because you could just pick the best players mm. and the best players is not their course. So the best players probably, given the fact they have 17 players who are really good on the left wing, then it would be Rashford up front, Bruno in behind, Anthony on the left, Anthony on the right and probably Sancho off the left. With But... When you pick a team, particularly if we've got Sunday coming up in a cup final, you're not necessarily picking all the best players on the pitch at the beginning because you're also thinking, I want, my be- I want my best players on the pitch for the last half an hour when the game might be in the balance. So you might hold players back and pick, say, he might, I, I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm sure he'll pick Veghorst on Sunday, but if I was guessing, I'd say he would. And I don't think it's because he thinks that Veghorst is necessarily one of his best 11 players, but it's, what Veghorst does that enables the other players to play well, but also that if you've got Sancho and Garnacho on the bank on the bench, let's say, mm. then those are very significant changes to introduce to a game after an hour when the opposition are tiring, particularly if there's a possibility that game might go to extra time. Yeah, because it feels like he's, he's almost, I don't know if it's purposely, but he's not starting with his strongest 11. When I saw Veghorst in the team last night, I was thinking Garnacho's right there and he's playing well. But is that almost... Uh, an extra strength to the bow that if we play well with Veghorst, then bring on Garnacho, we're actually better again. Yeah, and I think Garnacho and Sancho have both played really well recently, and Garnacho has been good all season, but it has generally been off the bench. Sancho was brilliant against Leeds, but it was off the bench. Garnacho is someone, Garnacho in particular, I think, is just someone you don't want to face as a substitute because he's so fast, so direct, and so fearless. And Sancho also is an interesting just because there aren't players around like him. So you get used to playing against one player, and then if you suddenly toss Sancho into that mix after an hour, the challenge of facing him is totally different to the challenge of facing whoever he's replaced. And football matches last 90 minutes, 95 minutes, or whatever. And you want to take advantage of all those minutes. So I think that it makes sense to keep 
on the bench players who you think can make a very significant change, particularly if those players are currently showing you that off the bench is, might be where they're best. Mm. Anthony's finish last night, superb. Do you get the criticism of Anthony? Not really. As in, he's come without a pre-season to a new country, to a new league, and there's been a World Cup, and he's been injured, and he's scoring and creating goals. So I, I watch him and I think there's a lot of improvement that you need to do. But also there's a lot of improvement I think will come. And also he's quite good already. He's 23 yesterday. It was his birthday. He's 23. He scored, I think, seven goals this season. You saw the goal he scored last night in a big game against Barcelona. So I think what Anthony gives you on a bad day is that he's not scared. You can always give him the ball and he will take the ball and he will take time and heat out of the game because he's able to hang on to the ball and people will kick him and he's not bothered. So he gives you that toughness and that nastiness and that ability to retain possession. He also stretches the play and he and gives United some width and gives them a threat down the right-hand side. He's good at pressing. He gives them a lot out of possession, a lot a lot going backwards and he can get and he can be involved in goals. And th- these these are just this is on a bad day. On a good day, he gives you obviously a lot more. Things haven't been working perfectly for him yet. But what I thought we saw last night, and we haven't seen this consistently, is that he was running in behind. He was looking to put the ball behind his men, beat them for pace on the outside, come on the inside and go past people. He slowed it down a little bit, I think, this season up until this point. But his performance last night, I thought, was really encouraging because he was also looking to be a little bit more proactive in possession, a little bit quicker in possession. And the criticism of Anthony, like they said on uh, BT afterwards that, Um, this might be a turning point for him. And he doesn't need a turning point. He scored on his debut and he's been either good, he's been either injured or pretty good since then. And I think he's been good in the last few games too. So it felt like this whole thing was confected because he did that trick that some people didn't like in that game Mm. the day the Queen died. Mm. And I I, I totally didn't see it. I I didn't see it even with the trick that I thought what he was trying to do was trying to misdirect the opposition by spinning. Then he played a pass and the pass was off. But the conception of the trick mm. and what it was trying to achieve was that it was misdirection. You're looking over there and I'm going to put the ball over here was actually quite clever. And I didn't have a problem with him doing it. And then he got substituted and people said, oh, Ten Hag has hooked him because of that. But Ten Hag hooked him because he was resting him. It was clearly one of those things that was planned. I think Ten Hag even said as much afterwards. But the media somehow confected this whole controversy about Anthony's spin. And therefore, people didn't appreciate him and the crowd didn't like it. And this, this whole thing is just total, total nonsense. He's contributing absolutely loads to the team, which is why this manager, who 10 minutes ago we were just talking about, is ruthless. There's competition for places. Almost always picks him when he's fit because he gives the team a balance and an intensity that other players don't and he's the best the best right winger that United have and United have some players who can play that role well, well I mean the media picked up on that because it was an easy thing to pick up on it was also weird it was also well no but it was I mean look that's that's what look, those little moments where football is about and you remember Andre Konchelski is standing on the ball at Rangers I, with I, the I wouldn't blast like, him for it but it was, know, I, in my opinion thing. it was no, a bit weird but like, I think the I think the criticism of Anthony is that he's so predominantly left footed that sometimes he slows down attacks because he goes back on his left foot like the way Antonio Valencia used to be completely right footed isn't that the so Ten Hag talked about this and he said he can come on the inside he can go on the outside he can beat people for pace and he needs to do it more so I, I agree that I agree with you that this is, is a weakness in his game 
But from what the man, from what Ten Hag said, it needn't be a weakness. And last night, actually, I felt was really encouraging in that aspect because we saw we saw a bit more variety and we saw him speeding the game up rather than slowing it down. The, slow, the ability to slow it down, don't get me wrong, is helpful. But when you're under pressure or when you want to take some, some heat or some time out of the game, the ability to slow it down and hang on to the ball is an important one. But I agree with you, Colm, that he he does he does need to speed the game up and he does need to trust his ability on his right foot because he needs to ask defenders a different question. And we've seen it with Rashford playing on the left that once defenders knew that he wasn't just going to go inside and he had the tricks, the pace and the the will really to go on the outside, he became a totally different proposition to Mark. And from what Ten Hag says, Anthony is capable of that. And I felt like we started to see that last night. But as we, as you said, the finish, the ability to sort of march onto a finish and punch it when it's in the air like that, um, is 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 a very significant one, and is is occasionally you see players who became become known for a very particular kind of thing. So Coutinho had that finish where he would curl it into the top corner from outside mm. the box on the left hand side, and Anthony he has his finish and his ability to to execute it in all different sorts of sorts of circumstances with composure and accuracy is 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 useful. So it is a weakness that he only comes inside, but when he does it, he can still do it very effectively and if he's starting to add that ability to go on the outside and to do different things, and I think we're seeing that, then it will immediately make the fact that he can go on the inside and that he's so good at it an even more significant strength than before. Uh, there was a one-two between Garnacho and Fred with about 10 minutes to go last night that really should have, it was a, a thing of absolute beauty. It really should have uh, resulted in a goal. And I did wonder when you couple, um, maybe less so the impact of Garnacho, but certainly of Anthony and looking ahead to Sunday and the cup final, Daniel, if you felt that, like, you know, in terms of team selection, we've obviously touched on Sancho and touched on, on Weghurst, but are they two players that come into the reckoning on Sunday? Um, there's, um, I'd be amazed if Garnacho started that game just because he's such a good substitute. He's been better from the bench than starting. I guess the options are Rashford will start and Bruno will start. And I think Anthony will probably start. And then it's probably, I would imagine it's a toss up between Veghorst and Sancho. I would probably go Sancho because I, although all, all, everything that I said about keeping good players in reserve, there's the other part of me that says just pick the best players on the pitch and then take it from there. Uh, I think it will be Vekos, though, because I think that United will want to start fast, but they'll also be aware that they might have a big physical and, and, and emotional dump from beating Barcelona. So they might think, get a foothold in the game first and then and then try and really go away in the second half. And I think that's one of the things we've been seeing a lot of United recently, that because they've been playing so many games, you can't go flat out in all the games. And it feels like the first half has been a period where they're establishing themselves into a game before they really stamp on the gas in the second half. So I wouldn't be surprised if it continued like that. That would be my guess. And they end the six-year drought? Uh, I, I Guaranteed. So. Nick Pope is out. Absolutely guaranteed. Uh, Newcastle was Newcastle was a difficult game. They've got their own sense Come of destiny. On. Don't be, don't, we, we have an expression over here, Daniel, called plum-arsing, which is uh, buttering us up. Come on. Um, I... I think United should win. They should have beaten Newcastle at home earlier in the season. They didn't. But Newcastle look like they've run out of a bit of form over the last few weeks. And United are still running into it. But you look at... They're a team that can hurt you. Alexander Isak is an excellent player. Bruno Gimmerich is an excellent player. And they're good at the back. So in a final, in a tight game, it's ridiculous. Like those teams can beat you. I think that United should be motivated by the potential shame of losing... To Newcastle and the fuss that will be made about them winning their first their first trophy since 1969. I mean, that would be a very significant shame for those players to be their patsies. 
But I think United will win. I expect them to win. They should win. But the idea that it's a gimme against a really good team who will be motivated like you wouldn't believe is not the case. But United should United should win. And I think I always look at them and I think that triumvirate that they've got, the two centre-backs and Casemiro, make it really difficult for any team to beat them. Like Turning up at any game with those three is like walking into a pub and saying, right, now who wants some? And it's almost it's a real statement of those three players, a hard, fast, talented brilliant and it's really hard to see any team beating United when those three are on the pitch they will be on the pitch so United should win but Newcastle absolutely have the players to keep them out and to score and to make it a really hard game they're good right enjoy we'll catch up with you next week thanks Daniel see you guys have a good weekend Um, we shall see how that goes it is 8.38 up next Alan Quinlan studio to review uh, and look ahead to the weekend Six Nations action first of all you're going to hear a clip from the Six Nations show Keith Wood talking about Gavin Coombs being left out of the squad for Italy they'll be picking holes as well when you're wandering around Killaloo tomorrow as well and they're going what about Gavin Coombs what about Gavin Coombs yeah I Gavin Coombs I'm Gavin Coombs scores a lot of short tries. He is incredibly effective for Munster. I think he dropped away um, a chunk last year. I thought he, he when he came on the Munster scene, he did incredibly well. He dropped away a bit in standard. I think he lost his confidence a little. I think he's coming back into it. Um, I don't know that he's at the level that we're seeing on the team at the moment. And so um, it, it is a big uh, hill for him to climb with the quality of the players that are there ahead of him. So um, you're looking for a, a player to be involved in at the heightened level of uh, Van der Fleer, Caelan Doris, you know, and uh, also, again, Grace mentioned it, um, you know, having Jack Conan coming back in, getting his confidence as a lines number eight. Um, we need a backup to um, to Caelan Doris. Um, because he is absolute standout. And I think Con- uh, um, um, Jack Conan's getting the chance, getting the opportunity. He needs to take it because Coombs is breathing down his neck. But Coombs needs to play at a, like a really heightened standard now because some of the quality that we've been seeing for the last few weeks is incredible. You can check out that full uh, chat with Keith Wood and uh, Nathan on the show last night. Check up on our uh, YouTube channel. Alan Quinlan, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are you? Good. 20 to 9 uh, this morning and it's a bit more rugby chat, obviously, for the weekend that's in it. We pick up on the point that was been made there about uh, Gavin Coombs. Definitely one of the ones that can feel a little bit hard done by, by not being in the 23 at least. Um, yeah, I think a little bit. Um, but he's... Um he's been playing very well and that's all he can do, really. You know, there's obviously... A fair bit of debate um, going on. I think the quality of the back rows is is um, was a very high standard, and you know he went back and played last week at three tries, twenty three carries, lots of tackles. Um, and I think it's probably a little bit unfair. I've said it a few times about consistency, and you've seen that constant energy and all that kind of stuff. I think he's he's shown that. I think when you when you get up to international level, you have to. Um, Sometimes you need a little bit of a steer as to... Obviously, his big strength is he's physical, he's powerful, he's a really good carrier, but I think the rest of his game has improved dramatically as well. So, yeah, you can feel a little bit hard done by that he's not getting a chance. You think, would it give him a real confidence booster to to be on the bench and coming off the bench in Rome? Um, but it's the... You know, I think Andy Farrell is, is really respecting Italy and... Mm-hmm. 
obviously the break in between doesn't help players who are thinking we want to get in for the Italian game because everybody had a week off last week you can refresh um, uh, but look he's he's playing very well and that's all he can do is keep knocking on the door and if he has a really strong finish between now and the end of the season with Munster well he'll get more attention and I think I know for a fact without I don't know for a fact but I know Paul O'Connell so well and I know that you know he'll be giving him sort of feedback on on what what he wants and needs and um, what he's seeing at the moment is a really uh, involved Gavin Coombs throughout games for 80 minutes which is 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 what you want Um, look at Caelan Doris and just the the amount of involvements the carries the turnovers the tackles um, the clean out the breakdown he's the full package really and that's why he's at the level he's at and people are talking about him in world rugby about how good he is for Ireland Um, himself and Gavin Coombs would be a frightening prospect playing together you know and if Gavin Coombs can keep going because as I said you know he just has that incredible power that we've spoken about we lacked on occasions before in forward packs we chat about like you know the player who has slightly underperformed which has been the case with him uh, was in the Novembers whatever it was against the uh, Murray uh, side that came over and he maybe underperformed and people had sort of written him off and so he gets the feedback he takes it away he works on it he becomes yeah. a better player he's working on all those things but isn't there also because rea- we, we talk about that in cliches we say he got all the he got all the feedback he worked on his stuff and he deserves a shot now but the reality, of course, is that he could go away, work on all the stuff, become the best version of himself, and there still might not be room for him in the squad. It's um, close to yeah, him. no. If you keep, if you keep, yeah, for for World Cup, um, look, it's he's he. I think he'll be in a World Cup squad if he keeps going, um, because I think he gives you that dynamic and and something really, really uh, different as regards the power. Um, Regardless, getting into starting team, it's very difficult because Josh van der Fleer, Kellen Doris, uh, Peter O'Mahony, Jack Conan are the perceived four and they've proven themselves and they've obviously a lot of experience and played very well. If there's a little dip, yeah, for sure. He's next kind of knocking, knocking on the door. Um, Ryan Baird is, is another option at six. He's played really well for Leinster there. Um, he's on the bench at the weekend with Peter O'Mahony, but, you know, if you're Peter O'Mahony and you get knocked out of the squad and Gavin Coombs comes in, it's 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 brilliant for as regards for Gavin Coombs. But you know, it would have been the easy thing to do. It's possibly, yeah, yeah, said, yeah, yeah. You're flying it. Yeah, you're now we, we know what you can we do. Yeah, to take a bit of a breather here, and it would have been that was that was kind of the thing that stood out for me. It was the easy. It, call they could have put him in, um, but like the way when you're winning yeah. and things are going well, and he makes. Lots of the decisions that he's made in recent times have, have worked and even the balance of the team here at the, the weekend, it's incredible to think that you've Ronan Kelleher, Bundyaki, yeah. Ian Henderson um, Jack Conan, yeah. and Jack Conan. They're four British and Irish lines. Okay, Ronan Kelleher didn't play but he got called into the squad um, and that's the level he's at. Um, you could argue for these four guys wouldn't start if everyone was available, which shows the depth that he's created. So um, he's got to be respectful, and I'm sure Peter Matty wouldn't be too pleased. But I'm sure Gavin Coombs. Um, I love the fact that he went back to the, last week and he he performed. He he looks like he's happy and comfortable in his own skin, and um, probably too much made of the performance of the Ireland A side ag- against um, that New Zealand select in November oh, because like a- they all played poorly, yeah. you know, and 
you know, I think even Nick Timoney has suffered a little bit since, you know, and, and but equally, that's the kind of ruthless nature of you that. Have to, like, what do you do if you if you're the coach? You yeah, yeah, and, and that's it. yeah, that's the that's the level it's at, and it, and that's when you hear the word ruthless, the international level, and the opportunities and chances don't come around. So you have to take him, but he's fought his way back and been very consistent. So credit him for that. You mentioned the four inclusions there: Henderson, Cohn, and Keller Haraki, along with the half-back partnership, Casey and Byrne. Like, what's the ultimate goal here for those six this weekend? If they play extremely well, are they in contention to start against Scotland in two weeks, or is the team just? Well, too that's good at the what moment? Andy Farrell would like that um, they go out and perform and kind of give him a headache when he's picking the team, and then you're kind of down to split decisions of your gut feeling as regards. You don't want your coach picking you on, on gut, but sometimes it can affect. Um, it can work in your favour if you are one of those players who. Um, I think with with Tyke Burnout, you you would expect Dean Henderson yeah. to finish out the championship with James Ryan in the second row. Uh, Ryan Baird might well, have something I, to say not, about I, that. You the last few weeks you've been on, you've been very effusive about putting Baird in there. Yeah, I think it would have been a great opportunity, but the problem is Ian Henderson hasn't played games with Ireland recently, so he deserves. It's a kind of a catch twenty two. I'd love if Ian Burn um, Ian Henderson be started. I I would have started Ryan Baird and say right go out with a, a strong team around you and show us what you can do here. We don't know his ceiling yet. Um, thing yeah, and I think, it's, I think it can be very, very well. high. I think it can be very, very high. He's, got, he's become, uh, he's got bigger, he's more physical, yeah. um, he's incredible athleticism. But it's for, for Cullum, for, for all those players, like Bundy Aki hasn't played a lot of rugby. Yeah. I'm sure he's been a little bit frustrated with what's gone on at Connacht and uh, not playing a lot of games. Um he, he's been absolutely brilliant every time he's played for Ireland so I think he'd look for a big game um, Rossburn and Casey different kind of scenarios for them they're both really kind of on the up and I think Rossburn has shown um, and everybody's really pleased incredibly delighted with the, the, the way he played against France and you know for a long period of that game probably 30 minutes of that game looked very controlled composed um, you, I mentioned the word ruthlessness. You look back four years ago when they play England, and you know he's playing in World Cup warm up, and and then after in the Six Nations is one after that as well, where Ireland are pretty dominant in both those games, and you know he kind of suffers. But as an out half, if your forwards are, are not working, they're getting physically um, dominated. It's very difficult. So it's 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 a real win win situation for them. The only danger with going to Italy is. You can expect too much sometimes outside yeah. of the group. I think Ireland will be unbelievably satisfied with a result here. Obviously, as a coach, Andy Farrell and the rest of the coaches want a good performance, you know. But they've proven in the last 12 months that they're a dangerous side, they're a different prospect. They can play rugby if you stand off them. They can actually hurt you and punish you. And uh, it isn't all kind of up in the air and passion and emotion which you know many times I went to France or, or to Italy and that's what I remember being involved in a match one time when Diego Dominguez he kicked the ball off at the start of the game and he kicked it two yards so the referee had to award a scrum they want we Ireland had a scrum yeah, from the kickoff, yeah. so he just kicked it two yards forward everybody stopped and the referee had to reward a scrum because it didn't go ten yards they wanted it have a scrum against Ireland straight away. to try and even though they were giving us the scrum just to go at Ireland physically say well we're going to beat you in the scrum and we're going to attack you up front and we're going to be so physical today we're going to make life healthy that 
you know, that worked to a point, but if you were patient and you matched that physicality, you would wear them out in the end. This team can play rugby, and I think... They, I, they needed Dominguez at out half, which would probably bring... Well, Garbisi is coming back from is yeah, is a really good player. Enough, yeah. you, you look at the rest of the, the back line they have, Ignacio Brex, Menoncello, the two centres, they're, they're superb players. Pierre Bruno comes in. I look at that back line, and I think there's a fair bit of danger there. Padovani, who scored that try... Um, last year After against the Wales, run, yeah. yeah. Um, Stephen Varney at nine, hesitancy, couple of mistakes against France. I think if they can, you know, he's a very good player as well. And now, I think not alone have they kind of a good, robust pack of forwards, but they're quite skillful. The back row, Canone, Lamaro, and Negri, they're they're really mm. top quality. So they've proven it. They've beaten Wales. They've beaten Australia in November. They beat Samoa. Uh, they ran France close so you have to respect them and the biggest challenge here is the complacency thing so it's another challenge for, for Ireland Can I ask you one more just about the back row just the that shuffle so um, Conor obviously is eight Doris slips across then to the blind side so like you already mentioned about obviously his quality world world class in his normal position but like what are the limitations now when he goes to six or like there's no limitations because I just think he's a wonderful footballer so he, he can play but the I same think, game in yeah that but position. I think it's a really good move from um, from Andy Farrell because if Caelan Doris was injured no more and, and you're suddenly springing Jack Conan in a, for a starting match maybe a year or two that he hadn't hasn't done that. Um, he's come off the bench in New Zealand. He's played against one of the top tier nations in a year, I think. Yeah, so him starting a game here, you would hope, I think that the fact is that if there was a problem with, with, with Doris, that you now have a guy who has a lot of credit in the bank here um, and you're just kind of reigniting that bit of confidence again. So um, if it happened at a World Cup game, so... Um, Jack Cohn is still a top quality player I think he's a load of energy his he's, uh, ability to carry is superb as well So, um, and that's one of Gavin Coombs' problems you have two, three, four players I experienced it myself in my career you know the 2009 back row I was trying to get into the 23 but there's just so much depth and quality of, of players and it's always happened so it's it's difficult for him but for Jack Conan this is this is a real chance and um, I think it's a really sh- shrewd um, shrewd selections I think the one area I don't know if I mentioned it to you was, was Gary Ringrose if, if Gary Ringrose doesn't play does that affect how does that affect your whole attack mm-hmm. Um you know, it's Robbie Henshaw's played there and Aki have played in the centre before and done very well. Um, Anton Frisch is someone who's probably showing glimpses and signs that he can be play that position very well. I think he's an outstanding player and, you know, obviously France, are, France are, have been trying to get him back, but I think, you know, he, he went on that Emerging Ireland tour and he's played really well for Munster, not not just last week, but for, for a, a fair period of time now. So um, he could be someone that could mm. challenge for a World Cup if you're talking about a bolter. But uh, complacency is the key here, and I think Ireland will be very mindful of that. I can imagine Paul O'Connell, well, Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell and the rest of the coaches. but Hammering an inch Well, it? yeah, it's just, look, and sometimes you can do everything right and you can get yeah. a flat performance or things can... But the expectation here this time, you know, I would have been in the last number of years working in these games or being a player, you know, the, the feel-good factor here afterwards is winning by 20 or 30 points yeah. and getting scoring lots of tries and... 
um, getting out of Rome and being happy and joyful. This, I think, tomorrow um, people shouldn't be expecting. It could happen that Ireland win by 20, 30 points. But I think 10, 12 point win here is a good result. Um, yeah, well, they gave, they should have beaten France. Yeah, and I think look, maybe that's maybe that'll be to Ireland's benefit. They won't in any way underestimate him, and I think the selection has reflected that. Um, Justin Flynn on YouTube says, if Coombs wants to improve his Ireland chances, he needs to move to Leinster. This is the type of um, banter rivalry that we're here for. I know. Um, Would he get on Leinster then with all the players? No, he so he's going to Doris Van der Fleer, Conan. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think he's having a pop. But I in in force changes aside uh, for Scotland. Would you be making um, any replacements here for that game based on tomorrow? Like, i.e., if someone performs extraordinarily well that's coming into the team, would they stick in the team against Scotland? Or was the France performance just so good that you can't change unless um, you have to, unless it's enforced? It's getting tighter and tighter, and you're getting into a switch situation now that if the team keep performing, it's, it's harder to get it, you know, to it's getting harder and harder to get into that side I think um, and that's difficult for those players coming in isn't it Tomorrow yeah well I think it's a, when, the co- when the coach sits down and talks to his squad and players and if he's he wants to talk to them and say look that they've got to keep a high level that there's people chomping on, on, uh, at the bit here to get into the side and he I think it'd be Andy Farrell would love to have a situation where players feel they're not being dropped but there's yeah. a bit of rotation going on and that comes with depth, Cullum. Do you know what I mean? When you have the opportunity to bring in like-for-like like players who can bring a little bit of different dynamic, mm-hmm. nobody will want to go out of the side. Um, and that may happen in the next few months. You know, like if Robbie Henshaw plays instead of Stuart McCluskey in, against Scotland or England, well, is there anyone going to say that the team performance is going to dip? Or, you know, because McCluskey, you think, is has kind of earned the right to be really in the conversation now you know there's a couple of areas like I said if Gary Ringrose doesn't play um, it's it's a problem um, Ryan Baird you know someone who could really um, enhance his chances here if he gets on on Saturday um, to play against Scotland a different sort of a, a game probably not be careful what way I say this, but you're not playing England, that power, that South Africa, and you could sense that it's going to be um, incredible pace to that game in Murrayfield. So the the door is closing a little bit, but I think like, yeah. you know. But the great thing is the depth on the bench, and even if you look at the bench, you know you've Dan Sheen coming off the bench yeah. uh, at the weekend, Kilcoyne, uh, Tom O'Toole did really well against France, O'Mahony, Baird. Um, you have guys coming off the bench now with experience who feel they should be on the team yeah. and they've legitimate rights to kind of argue that and really make an impact. Every second, uh, every second round, you insist we mention the under twenties um, for whatever reason, Crinny. I don't know why that might be, but uh, are you on duty for any? No, of that? I'm not. I'm not doing the twenties, but. Um, I saw Evan O'Connell uh, in one of the papers this morning saying that the uncle has given him a lot of feedback, clips, sending him clips of sessions that they're doing at the senior level. That's an unbelievable uh, resource to be able to tap into. It is, yeah. It's, it's a very good squad. And I think um, the, the probably the, the, the physical size of some of the players is, is incredible here. Um, and traditionally, you know, we would have been a little bit different. Um, in the genetics over the years um, yeah. you know England always can pick a big side France always can pick a big side but they're a very good team I think they've played really well in the you know obviously the first one in Wales the first half wasn't their best performance 
I think the reaction and the resilience they showed in Cork for the second game against France, really that was um, a very, very powerful, good French side. And yeah. they probably got away with one there in the end um, with with um, Sam Prendergast's penalty at the end. But um, going to Italy is another great opportunity for them to grow. He's picked the, picked the same team, a little bit of continuity, which um, I think Richie Murphy has made three, four, five changes in nearly every game I've I've seen the last couple of years but he's gone for a bit of consistency here and feeling that um, the, the performance in Cork um, they can take something and get better out of that but they're in a great position now to, to possibly challenge but the Italy under-20s team is going to be difficult this is going to be really challenging um, they lost narrowly to France in round one and England in round two so um, it'll be interesting but there's some really good players there you know you, you mentioned Sam Prendergast mm. um, the the middle five Dermot Mangan Conor O'Tiernig James McNabney Ruan Quinn Brian Leeson they're, they're athletes they're they're seriously good rugby they're players good, they're a good team to watch um, the captain is a brilliant player as well Gus McCarthy and, and Paddy McCarthy who's Joe's brother as well has been doing well so there's a lot of really good players um, Evan O'Connell as you said being able to chat with his, his uh, with his uncle and Danny Sheehan Jacob Sheehan they're Frankie's nephew so I keep getting reminded of them if I, <laughs> if I was doing this um, it's probably Donald Lenha now for RTE who's going to be getting I'm not sure if Donald is doing the game but um, um, we're obviously sharing the Six Nations version on RTE so um, we don't have this one but um, I'm going to Cardiff to do Wales, England. So, um, but I'll be watching the twenties because I think you know they play a brand uh, for anyone who doesn't, you know, hasn't seen the first couple of games. It's incredibly exciting. They're they're not restricted in in what they do, if you like. And there's a lot of off the cuff. Um, take on your opposite man, run at them, try and keep the ball alive. So the twenties rugby and games have been brilliant so far. Quinny, enjoy the rugby over the weekend. Catch up with you. Cheers, Monday. thanks, Adrian. Thanks, and uh, it is uh, nearly nine o'clock. You're watching Orbit AM, and we have loads still to come. We've Liam Griffin standing by to chat about his uh, motion to Congress last weekend, and uh, plenty more as well. The fire bit to come too, and we'll be catching up with Ashling, who's in Rome ahead of that game at the weekend. Here's what's coming up now to be uh, Sports Radio today: uh, the football kickoff from half past eleven this morning. Joe in conversation with Ruby Walsh from one Galway. The subject of Mount Rushmore at three. Pat Fenlon at four clock and uh, the Irish football special with uh, Kevin Gilban in conversation with uh, Mizzers Quinn, McAteer and Given. That's all from 6 and you can follow OTB across social. Subscribe uh, to the OTB podcast network up next we've the All-Ireland uh, winning manager Liam Griffin. First of all before that uh, during the ad you can hear Sarah Donovan. She was talking about why she had more fun playing for uh, Dublin rather than Cork and it's all part of the OTB Games Room in partnership with Virgin Media. Bring your A-game with 99.9% broadband reliability. OTB AM. It's got 9 o'clock, OTB AM. Loads of comments coming into us. Hopefully, get to those before we leave you at 10 this morning. Myself and Colm with you until 10. Delighted to say that we're joined on the line now by Liam Griffin. Good morning, Liam. Guys, how are you? Thanks for patiently uh, standing by there as we chatted a bit about the uh, rugby. We want- I enjoyed that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Very we, good. Yeah. We w- I wanted to chat to you a little bit. We were paying attention. It was this day last week, I think, that the motion came up about uh, the possibility for clubs all over the country to uh, be mandated to field uh, hurling teams from under seven, I think, through to under tens. Uh, it got 35% uh, support at Congress, so it uh, was rejected. Why do you think it came up short? I think it came up short for a few reasons. Uh, I 
I, I think at, con- at uh, convention generally, um, you know, unless it's a, a slam dunk, it, it, it struggles. But the reason I think that it didn't get a little bit more um, was because the first 10 motions were deferred and the first motion taken was that motion. Now, for the first motion of Congress, people are not going to be very vociferous for a while unless something happens. And it was called uh, the, the call and the count was was, uh, was done before there was a debate. And I think it was worthy of a debate. And I think I don't know why the GA wouldn't want a debate on such a such a such an issue, because it, it was a very benign attempt to try and get hurling uh, to grow the game of hurling. And it's, it's not widely known, but are not well, might be widely known, but. Hurling is one of the few games, uh, and the GA is parish rule. So if your if your team, if your club doesn't have a hurling team, you actually can't play for anybody else, uh, and that's absolutely crazy. Because if you're playing rugby or soccer or ludo or darts, I don't care what it is, you can play, you can go to play, but we actually forbid you to play if you're not playing if your club doesn't have a hurling team. And I was concerned because I saw the Hallam uh, Sheffield University. Uh, brought out a, a, a they did a study on, on on Irish sport and hurling our native game dropped out of the top 10 uh, and that's absolutely crazy mm. now that's an issue for the GA and we're not tackling it properly in my opinion uh, I'm not saying it's done out of evil con- uh, intent it's we, we've bound ourselves up in rules that mean that we actually have sidelined hurling and if you want to have good hurling and if you want to have standards in hurling you have to have grow the volume and also if you are from another county and you have a chance to learn hurling at an early age, because you won't learn hurling very, very well after you get past the age of 12 or 13. There are outliers, but you won't do it very well. So, And then if you go to live in another county that has hurling, you, you just can't play because you, you haven't had the skill set. So we're giving young kids a chance to play hurling. And I think young boys everywhere in the country and the island of Ireland should have the opportunity of playing hurling and shouldn't be barred from playing hurling by our own rules because it makes no sense. It's not good for us. And I think the fact that it was dropped out of the top 10 was the reason why I brought that motion forward. From the opposition's perspective, Liam, why do you think it was rejected, the motion? What was their motivation? I don't know, because why wouldn't you debate that? It's just saying, can we play hurling and can we... Because... Don't forget, back in the 40s and the 50s and all through there in the 60s, we didn't have all this emphasis on coaching. We now have an awful lot of GPOs, our GPAs, all over the country. And we are now well equipped to try and take it on board within the, within the coaching framework. And, and we are in a position, therefore, to coach coaches in clubs if they wish to do it. So I think there's a, there's a feeling uh, uh, that people do think that people that think they can win an All-Ireland Senior Football Final or an All-Ireland Club f- Football, uh, there's, there's some clubs don't want hurling within there in case that deflects from what they want to do. But hurling is actually great training for football. Now, uh, you know, football is good for endurance training for hurling, but for eye-hand coordination, for all of that, that type of thing, and the speed of the game, it has actually got a lot of merit even for football. And we didn't try to get controversial whereby we were bringing it up as far as competition level. So it's not even impeding competition. It's just to give children a chance to play the game of hurling in their own country. I mean, I said it before, I wasn't trying to be smart. Kate Middleton has got more training for hurling than some young boys in Ireland. And so also, what you call this guy from China, uh, Muhammad Ali got a bit of uh, a few sticks. You know what I mean? So why, why, why cannot, if you have a child and you live in a county, why can't you play the game of hurling? And that's the question that has to be answered by the GA. 
So, like, obviously, when you look at it at a senior level, um, there, you know, they, there are a very limited number of counties that can, whatever, but compete for an All Ireland, but compete at any sort of a tier A, tier B at senior hurling, and obviously this would have a knock on on that. What was the essence of your thinking about it, Liam? Is that was it to do with like getting trying to get a hurl into the hands of kids as a national game? It's fallen outside the top ten, or was it to try and address the other maybe uh, more Hollywood aspect to it? No, it wasn't. It was to try and get young, young. I, I played hurling from a young age and I was in a football club and Wexford were at their height when I was a young lad. I used to hurl against the wall and do all that. We had to give walkovers when I was uh, over the age of national school because a lot of us didn't go to secondary school. So I loved the game of hurling and I also played a lot more football than I played hurling. And what I'm saying is it's a special skill and when you master it and you get very good at it and you, your skill set comes up, it's very rewarding. It's just a, it's a great sport to be able to conquer and uh, why shouldn't every young boy uh, and girl separately, but I'm not representing Camogie, why shouldn't every young boy get it an opportunity to be able to play hurling? So we were saying if you do have a football team and it's in a town, let's say, and you don't have a hurling team, well, you let your kids go to the nearest hurling uh, p- people who have some facility for hurling are, and you have only a handful of kids you can, that means they can cross over from one club without losing their club status and they can still go back and play football for their own club. So it's not a very, very difficult thing to do. And that's a fact. Now, the, the other point is that we do think that this may come before the Games Committee. And the only good thing about the 35%, and by the way, without a debate, that was a serious amount of, uh, to get a 35%. Now, if we could get the debate and say, right, let's have an open debate on hurling. And I'm saying start with the kids anyway. And let's we've lost three years since I started on this. So we've three years lost. So the boy now there was nine is 12 and the boy there was 12, whatever. You know, it's, they're going up in age. So we're missing years as we do it. And hurling needs to If it's outside the top 10, is that a crisis or for, a, for, a, for an organization? I think it is because at the top end, we have between the age of 21 and 26 a 70% dropout in Gaelic football and a 60% dropout in hurling. So, like at the top end and at the bottom end, we are actually uh, we're losing down. You know, we're we're pressing down on the numbers playing when we need to grow the numbers. It was said a few years back that to produce one uh, serious player in, in Wimbledon, you'd have to have at 5,000 players or something like that to get really up to that standard. So. What's wrong with trying to raise the amount of people who play the game and give them the satisfaction? And if they go to another county, supposing they go to Dublin to work, which a lot of young guys do, wouldn't it be nice to have a hurling skill step when you get there and you could play with another club? Yeah, well, there, I, I'm involved in one of the bigger Dublin clubs at a very uh, under sort of academy level, under sixes, and you see the kids that have a real, and and it's at that age, it's easy to kind of manage the both the hurling and the football because it's not really you're not doing any serious training. It's like a run out on a Saturday morning, but you can see the kids that are really embracing the hurling side of it are coming from houses from uh, that have parents from Galway or from Cork or from Kilkenny you can really see that it's the, um, the passion for it is, begins at home yeah absolutely and I mean I, I'm not saying this to be boastful I spent over 20 years coaching kids and I absolutely loved it and I, I ran my own leagues and things and we had we brought in kids from all walks and creeds and came into play and some of them played for Wexford eventually and two of them won all Ireland senior medals in the end so, like, from, from, from that point of view, you look at Turin, and I give Turin game of, uh, team of the year this year uh, because they don't have all the riches in Mayo. And I thought they put up a fantastic display in an All-Ireland Intermediate Final, which Nace won last year, by the way, and they struggled with their hurling. And it's a great credit to Nace that they could win an All-Ireland, see an intermediate uh, title. 
Turin were beaten and in the last minute it was four minutes extra time and two and a half of those were taken off by something that's an illegal part of our game that's the, the rooks mm. rooks that have been formed in hurling now they're now actually doing the analysis on the rooks which is changing the shapes of the players so from the rooks point of view uh, that was held up by two minutes or approximately or a minute and a half in the extra time just throwing the ball back into a crowd again that's not that's not that's not even legal so Turin I thought were fantastic so if they can do it and they can develop their hurling, and they are a hurling club. If they can do that with, with without the kind of uh, infrastructure around them within their own county to play the game, that's an, a, a better achievement uh, than Limerick winning an All Ireland final. To be quite honest, so we need to actually see as there are outliers out there that love the game of hurling that we could bring on, and why can't we start with the children? I want to know, uh, not not being dictated, not trying to dictate to anybody, but why can't we have every young child exposed to the game of hurling, and why can't we remove the barriers? Well, one of the reasons, and I canvassed a couple of people during the week about from uh, traditional counties that would have done would have intercounty careers and their coaching at a younger level. One of the reasons that was brought up was a time issue, so that it was very difficult to give equal quality time to kids at that age at both codes. Uh, I don't accept that. Uh, if you're training for hurling, you're actually training for football as well. Football is great for endurance in hurling. It's not great for uh, strength is, is in every club now. So you need endurance, strength and speed. Now, if you need endurance, strength and speed for all sports, hurling is very good for that. And I think that it's, it's, it would be an asset if it's managed properly. And it needs to be managed properly. But I'm still saying, why can't we give and expose every child and make a pathway that you could play hurling if you want to? No one's trying to force anyone into the field. And we're not interfering with anybody else's competitions if you start young. So are they afraid if you start young, they might stay playing it? So Yeah, you know, that's, I'd, that's say. I'd say. Good. I'd say you're, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, well, if that's the case, if you want to win a, a, a football championship in your own county at the price of not letting people play hurling, I don't think it's worth winning. Well, we have, a, we have a tiny country with massive sporting participation across a number of sports and people, they make decisions, don't they? I mean, like, I, I'm listening to you here, Liam, and it's, it's fascinating and so many people will be on board with you. But what's the alternative plan here? So the motion got rejected in Congress. How do you organically motivate increased hurling participation across the country? What's the next step? Well, you have to give people an opportunity to play it. First of all, do they have the opportunity? Is there a, fi- a facility for them to go and play the game of hurling? And if not, can they go to some other club? Because the parish rule f- uh, forbids you to play for another club. That's happened in, in, in several counties. So the, the reason that I would like to see it is to just give people a chance to learn to play the game because it's a very good game. And we, we are a national game. Hurling and football are our national sports. But we can't have uh, we can't we, we can't call ourselves truly uh, national sports if we're not going to give every child in the nation a chance to play it. And that, as we we've got a responsibility as the GA to develop the game of hurling. And uh, the, pl- the plan is sure. to b- try and back channel it, Liam, and try and come at it from another direction. Is that the takeaway? Come at it from another direction, yeah. and then hopefully that leads on to some other directions as well and, and some other initiatives. But. Just let them, let them, let them play. Is what I'd say. Why not let them play the game? That's it. And I mean, why if they can go play rugby and soccer? And is it any wonder then that you'll be losing numbers at the bottom? And I'm just saying we can't afford to lose numbers at the bottom if we really want to develop the game. Yeah, it did strike me that as you were chatting there with James Kehill on the hurling pod during the week, and he was saying that uh, hurling is an infinite more, infinitely more skillful. Uh, sport than football, which he said had about four skills, and after that you'd be uh, you'd be well able to master it. Which I presume is yeah, well, you'd, you'd endorse. I, I I wouldn't endorse that either because it's not it's not us football or, or or hurling. It's both that the both should be cherished if you want to use a, a that metaphor uh, and actually try to spread it. 
And is the will there to spread the game of hurling? And is the will, like really, essentially, as you've already said, the all the Championship is probably a misnomer. It should be a blitz of 12 teams at the, at the very top of the elite level, or, and maybe a, bit, a blitz of eight teams or, or even 10 teams. Very simply, so, like, sorry, go ahead. Let, let's, call, let's call it as it is. Very simply, Liam, are you positive about the future of hurling in Ireland? I'm, I'm, I'm positive about the future of hurling. You'll always feel the team, but that's not what it's all about. You know, if you want to have quality, you have to have numbers. And the numbers that are playing hurling, uh, if the numbers keep diminishing and we keep falling out of the top 10, is it good that hurling should fall out of the top 10 or is it good that it should stay in the top 10 as the national sport? Now, if it stays in the top 10 and moves up into the top 10 further, you're growing the numbers. And that's going to grow the quality of the games that people are going to see 25 years from now. So you could argue there's lots of things that happen within the game at the moment that's making the game deteriorate. It's not as good as it used to be in certain areas. It's I'd love to play the modern game. But at the end of the day, uh, if, if you are going to have just to field the team, there'll always be fielding teams, but are they as good as they could be? Yeah, and are they, are they are they actually being asked to aspire to a higher level by the quality of the people around them? We'll take it. The conversation isn't going anywhere, and definitely felt as if it was one worth having this morning. So, Liam, thanks a million for jumping on. Thank you. Thanks a lot, former Ireland winning manager Liam Griffin, on his uh, defeated motion from last weekend. Right now, at a quarter past nine, it's time for the Friday Fire Pit. What is it called, Friday Fire Pit? Friday, Friday. So we just put a bit more thought into dominating. Miserable and guess you know that. Miserable and guess. you got to call it like it is. It's Friday, like Woo! fun. The Friday Fire Pit. Quarter past nine, 3 a.m., Friday Fire Pit. Kathleen, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. How are we? All good. What's on the What's on the boiler this morning in the hopper? Well, just kind of uh, continuing on from your conversation at the start of the show. We're going to talk about commentators and what makes a good commentator and do we really need them anymore? This wow. is kind of following on from a Jonathan Liu article that was very controversial a couple of months back where uh, he said that there is no necessity for commentators these days because A, they talk too much compared to the older commentators. They don't leave any space for the silence and the football. And also people aren't just paying attention in the same way they used to, you know. They're on their phones, like a Mr. Colin Buig last night who was texting me during the United match. <laughs> well, I was actually putting my phone to the other side of the room because I generally take my phone away when I want to watch a match properly because you can't watch it properly if you're also on the phone. Ah, no, I agree with that myself. Yeah. I agree with myself. <laughs> well, agree. Um, but Kathleen, I'm interested there. You reported Jonathan News article there. You um, summarised it, but do you agree with it? Uh, no, I don't. I think I understand what he's saying in terms of the fact that definitely commentary is a different art form now than what it used to be and like I saw a study once about like how many words per minute commentators speak now compared to how they used to and it is mad the difference it's like they have to always be saying something and because of that the level of commentary I don't think is as good but it's a bit like you guys were saying earlier there is something about just those big moments and I think actually commentators probably matter more to you when you're a child than they do now like when I think of great commentary moments or moments that stick out in my head or the reason why I love a certain commentator. It's because of a piece of commentary I've heard when I was younger, not so much now. So I think they add that nostalgia element. I also think your expectations for quality when you're a kid on commentary, like I'm far less cynical or judgmental about the commentators from my childhood than I will be now. But it's not because it works in the industry. industry. It's possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think the idea of so there are bad commentators and there are commentators that talk too much and there are commentators that don't let the match breathe mm. but that is a different conversation for me than not having any commentator at all because I think I actually think that in some ways the um, 
increasing use of second screening, WhatsApp, Twitter, whatever you're doing yourself in the middle of a game, nearly increases the need for a commentator because yeah, it means yeah. that you're not looking at it. It's nearly more of a radio experience. I certainly know you'd be, you'd be looking at a game, sometimes depending on what game it is, but you're paying half attention and then the commentator ramps it up and you're like, okay, what's going on? They provide a service. I mean, if you're taking a comfort break and um, you say you're on a different floor of the abode, you want the commentator to alert you if there's a chance. So, I mean, that's, 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 the first, that's the first club, service, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, I'm just giving you an extreme example where you're yeah. out of action, extreme, you know, physically and mentally example, you're yeah. gone. Uh, also, but I was thinking, like, when uh, Daniel Harris was uh, listing out his favourite commentators and it was from a bygone era, you know, is it because there was just simply less football on TV, so we had less exposure, so it was more special, whereas nowadays, like, you could hear the same commentator three or four times in a week, depending on the amount of football you're And ingesting. probably for them as well, they might just be getting a bit wrecked with having to talk about football all the time. You know, they say about, like, a, the likes of Martin Tyler and stuff now, that he's just not as interested or as he used to be. And when you listen back to his old commentary, you definitely hear a bit more of the passion there. And you can understand why, if you're talking about football all the time and trying to make it sound exciting all week seven days you would just get a bit eh. I, I, I love a bit of Martin Tyler I think yeah. he, I think he adds to and also to you change like if you if we all sit here again in ten years time exactly. Kathleen which no doubt we'll do we, there'll be uh, yeah. changes and hopefully whatever else but um, I don't know there's also the like I don't know if you guys watch um, the fan channels so like last night I was watching the United game and I had um, I, I have no idea who this guy was but he was a Manchester United fan and he was broadcasting live on TikTok and he was hell annoyed about a hell of a lot of stuff. Oh yes. Um, that stuff is actually I I am not cynical about that stuff. I find it some way uh, titillating. It's entertaining. It's adding a little bit of value and a lot of nonsense. I think and once you accept it for what it is, like yeah. you accept it to be okay. This is fan TV, so you're going to yeah. get the fan perspective. But also when they're invested in it and when they're like lying on the floor crying, as many Arsenal fan TVs have been <laughs> over the years, uh, it is entertaining. I enjoy it. It's yeah. like. A, I, I get I get why people would say it's chewing gum for the eyes dead and it's a lot of rubbish and you're better off doing something else. But I, it equally adds a bit like you're saying, Kathleen. It's like people people. It's like sitting next to somebody who's like an Uber fan of the team you're watching mm. and they're going crazy about it. You love TikTok, yeah. You love TikTok. It's, it's, good, right, it's a good platform. I mean, it's hard to impress you. A. I think that's and B inaccurate. But I'm impressed that you're impressed. Like I'd love to know why you love it so much. But you do find just great just for that there. reason that like you know I'm watching United last night. Uh-huh. I'm not a you know fan. I'm really interested in the game. It's uh, captivating. I'm obviously uh, busy, deeply preparing for this morning show. So I'm sort of paying half attention. Um, but definitely having like the phone sat there and your man whoever he was um, going absolutely bonkers about United was. See, I would Just find that hard during a match, though, like to listen to something else on my phone while I'm watching a game in front of me. I think it's slightly different to if there's someone beside you, you can kind of tune in and out of it in a different way to when it's on your phone. I feel like when it's on your phone, you're kind of watching them. I yeah. yeah. RNA deck, by the way, was this guy's, uh, this guy's name. He's there like 150,000 followers on TikTok. You're I better think. than I'm, me. I'm, I'm, I'm not even on TikTok apart from... Don't, 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 if you, ha- you don't even need a, a an account. You just go at it. The, uh, there's a Liverpool Irish supporter on TikTok who will massively overreacts to every result and it's kind of a thing. It's gone viral a bit, this guy. And... Uh, so I'd seen a compilation of it. it was is he, is he a joke? Is he, is he I don't know. I don't know. See, there's two Liverpool uh, influence, let's call them, on TikTok. And one guy makes up songs about the players from 
famous songs and From inserts Cork. players' names. No, this is an English guy, and I'm really undecided if it's a parody or not. If it's not, I'm a bit worried. And the Irish guy like goes mad at results. So when Leeds won at Anfield earlier in the season, like he went viral from that, and there was a compilation. And then this week again, he went viral again because of the Real Madrid demolition job. So that itself is finding its own little niche. It's, like, but that's I, I'd move away from that. Like, well, it's sometimes hard to tell is that performative or actual it's definitely passion. performative because they're. On but the then there are loads of fans who are just as like you know who are performative, you know. Top no, but I mean, there are fans who are like, there are fans everywhere who are going crazy because, you know, Liverpool have been beaten in that instance. Yes. Oh, correct. Yeah, he's definitely um, relating to a lot of fans, yeah, and their relation to him. There's a lot of empathy there, for sure. Dara, but, uh, who works on AM, has said Jonathan Morley is the Liverpool Irish fan's name, if you need it. Just so. Oh, thank you, Dara. Thank you, yeah. There's good service there now from no, the youth. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> but, the, like, it is a very personal thing, like, that you're of commentary or... For one for me that sticks out because we did this in the classic game club last year was the, the Wimbledon final that, that Ivanisevic won and the reason I love that so much is the commentary is absolutely amazing they really really capture the emotion of it and it was it's actually Pat Cash on co-commentary when Ivanisevic is serving for the match because he has four championship points so I think it's his first one and Cash just beautifully summarises it as like um, he has tears he has tears in his eyes and he's about to serve for Wimbledon uh. and it's like even me saying that out loud, now I get goosebumps. I can see that it. you're it's, about to. Do you know what I've, I find weird about this job? Is you meet a lot of the Irish commentators that you've grown up listening to over the years, and it's just so bizarre hearing them speak in like their normal voices and not doing commentary. Like I remember when I. So, like, for me, Ral Nugent is one of the voices that always just, like, brings back some of my memories because he was, like, commentating on the rugby around the time that I was properly getting into sport for the first time. And it was when I remember my first, you know, proper, oh, my God, my team is actually winning. This is a great experience. And I remember covering Ireland, New Zealand in the Aviva for the Autumn Internationals. And he was in the room and I just heard his voice from the other side. And I was just like, he was just asking for a cup of tea or something. And I was like, <laughs> can I have a cup of tea? <laughs> <laughs> it's just really bizarre even you know just meeting these people and seeing them yeah. in normal life and be like it's, you don't live in a little booth and just watch yeah, sport yeah. all day and talk about it. I, um, it it's an incredible skill it really is I, I also say I, on, I, before I forget I associate George Hamilton and Jim Begdon with Doom from commentating on either big Ireland qualifiers or the Champions League and uh, it's always the opposition of going to score like those that partnership always um, the fear drags in the spine Can I throw one out there that we'll probably have to come back to but the conversation we've just had about the hurling and whether we should be obliged to emphasise the teaching of hurling from a young age um, No I don't think there's any obligation but I was on to a friend of mine last night also from Cork who's a big hurler and he would strongly feel uh, the same as Liam Griffin I would yeah. feel that way Mm. Well, I because I was looking at what he was saying from the perspective of say like there's been an argument for ages like should clubs to get funding in say the Premier League or wherever it is or even in Ireland should they have to have a women's division and women's teams to get that funding to and is there an obligation there and a lot of what he was saying was interesting to me because it was just the similar arguments that I've heard for years and years but in a different context. Yeah, I th that's so spot on. Like, it's something that we should look to protect and promote. And so it's that isn't, he's identified, happening organically. So somebody needs to step in and take action over it. And like, I don't know. Look, I do get the people who are not into GA or don't want to be into whatever, do you have to force them to play hurling? And I don't think it's ever really about that, but it's equally about giving the opportunity to play hurling. I think it'd be interesting if you did bring it forward and say, because it's under sevens and under nines, and say every club did have to provide that service. 
and gave it like five years or something. And after that five years, you went back and said, okay, well, how many of those kids have gone on to compete at under 12 or Mm. under 14 level? And is it actually Mm. making a progression? Because I know like at home, we like Sligo's hasn't been a massive hurling county, but there's been like a real sort of rejuvenation of the sport over the last couple of years. And a couple of the clubs in my parish got together and set up a hurling team. And like, even you see Eski getting to the final this year, like, they're actually doing really well and there's a real interest in it and they're starting to set up the smaller or the younger age groups. Mm. So like there is an appetite when, yeah. and you know kids at that age, if you're playing sport, you just want to play yeah, sport. Yeah, that's the thing. See, I'd, st- I'd stop short of enforcing any obligation to play, but I do think there's no harm in introducing as many sports as possible to kids that age because they don't know any better and it will actually help them as Liam pointed out, which I think is probably the best point for me is that it will, if anything, it will just improve your skills in other sports mm-hmm. if it's transferable. But it's interesting you mentioned Sligo there and and hurling and my niece-in-law I suppose she's mad into organic football and she's progressing very very nicely um, 12 years old but she's focused entirely on football and not hurling a lot not camogie like in any way yeah, yeah. and like, you have to allow you definitely have to have an allowance for choice but I do think the opportunity is kind of the key um, with that one maybe we'll come back to that uh, again down the track Kathleen's nodding saying let's get the ladder that is uh, uh, a bridged version of the fire pit on Friday what is it called Friday Fire Pit? Friday Fire Pit Friday. So we just put a bit more thought into dominating miserable the comments about this morning. <laughs> you got to call it like it is. It's Friday, like what? come on. The Friday Fire it's nearly 9.30, you're watching OTBM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day, and uh, we're nearly finishing our morning. Ashling O'Reilly, though, before any of that, from the Coliseum, I believe, come on in! Wow, 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 oh, yes. wow, look at that. Good morning, look background. at this, lad. That nice green screen. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's the Roman Forum behind me, with the Palatine Hill directly across the road, and straight ahead then is the Coliseum, so what a view for a Friday morning. Ashling's at home there, nothing's moving behind her at all. <laughs> I can bring you around if you like. Yeah, I do. Yeah, give us a little tour there. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully the connection doesn't go. It's on you, Colm. Nice. No, it still looks like a picture. There's nothing moving. Ah, there you go. Okay. Great. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely now. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. What's the, the uh, many? I I had the um, privilege of been over at many of those weekends. Actually, you'd see the green jerseys start to leak into the city as uh, the day get got closer. What's it like at the minute over there? Ah. So you told you it was a big your, your tour of Rome is after killing the slot here, Cullum. I thought it was worth it. Have you been to the Cullum? I've never been. Have you been to the Cullum? Yeah. Cullum, Cullum at the Coliseum feels, feels like a, a night. Short-lived segment. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Italy once, 2005 skiing. So I need to go back. Uh, Nathan's never been. Have you been? <laughs> this is like... Um, Nathan, we'll just go through the whole company of people who've never been to it. Uh, I, I, as I've said there, as you were paying attention to um, the previous item, I was over to cover... I've been in Italy several times, but love to cover games. Yeah. Wow, simple yes or no is interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, if you were paying attention, Kathleen, just have you been to? Ago, you would need to have asked the question. Uh, I have indeed. I went in what year was that? When I was in TY, went to Rome. It was quite good. That's the only time I've been. Oh, and also, so I lived in Monaco for a brief month when I was oh. four. Uh, my dad had a succumbent to the Princess Grace Library there, and uh, we oh. used to take the train from Monaco into Italy. Nice. The only times that I've been there. I mean, in terms of filler slots, that's a, that's a nice bit of, uh, yeah, nice yeah. Bit of information. Well, um, I was going to ask you before we wrap, uh, genuinely in the sporting front, what's your prediction for tomorrow? Venice, by the way. I've been to Venice. Oh, I've heard that you only need two days there at most, but it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. My recommendation for you is Praha. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you'd like it. Mm-hmm. It would suit you. Mm-hmm. You good angles? 
Your ankles in good health? Have I good ankles? Yeah, they're very they're cobbly. Probably, yeah. Fine, yeah. balance, but it will improve your strength if anything but no genuinely can we talk what about ask, what are you asking me about my ankles for if you want to go to Praha bear in mind that it's all cobblestone okay. so your ankles okay. will go like it is my point though. like I don't know what your health was like um, Irish fans need to be patient don't expect this game to be won in the first 20 minutes as Quirky trust the players in the process and we'll have enough to win over 80-90 minutes with a bonus point Quirky who's definitely like you know he's consuming the Andy Farrell manual of how we approach sport here I think um, Keith Wood hasn't aged a day since he played for Ireland says extraordinary Gary I enjoyed that one earlier when I saw it the name or the comment the name yeah. well I, I agree with the comment but the name in particular <laughs> um, massive overreaction to Sancho two good games one bad give him a chance as Selden's plan and we can stop filling now Ashling, welcome back I'm back in action green yes. jerseys have we, have we green any green jerseys yes there's loads of green jerseys around um, so obviously outside the Coliseum this morning People are obviously trying to get in those touristy bits. Obviously, coming to a city like Rome, it's a, an amazing place to come for an away game. Um, even last night out for dinner, I went to Scholars Bar uh, just here in the, the city centre of Rome. And the Six Nations Trophy was there as well. So we got our pictures taken with that. And there's a great buzz. So you definitely you feel the buzz starting to, starting to manifest here. And hopefully it is a, an Irish win at the weekend. And you've been in and around the camp, obviously the press conference later today after the captain's run ahead of the game, and like it really feels like they've embraced. Ronan Agar has been talking to us for a couple of years about the idea of the opportunity that he got from, um, the ethos of the opportunity that he got from Scott Robertson, and that sort of, there's a couple of lads out, but it's this is not the end of the world. There's an amazing opportunity for all you other players, and it's really a mantra that Andy Farrell is banging this week. Yeah, big time. Like six changes from the, the start of 15 against France, and I think that's a good thing, Adrian. You know, this is probably what you want in a World Cup year. You you want to be able to see how the likes of Craig Casey gets on. Very excited to actually see him in particular. Obviously, mm. Ross Byrne, his first Six Nations start. He said, you know, in his 16 appearances, he's had two starts. This is going to be his third for Ireland. So it's a massive moment for him. We spoke to him during the weekend. He played it down a little bit. He said he's, you know, going to go about things as he always would. But, you know, you can't help but feel there's going to be a lot of eyes on him to see how he leads from that number 10 position. Um, so I think it's exciting. I think Andy Farrell wants to see how these lads get on. Obviously, Bundyaki's back in there as well. So, yeah, there's, there's changes. But as he said in the press conference yesterday, he feels this still should be their best performance of the Six Nations so far. So, you know, that, that says a lot, obviously, with the likes of Johnny Sexton out. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel that they're looking for a whole performance. That's what they consistently say. You know, we want a full, you know, performance throughout the game and not parts that are good and come back into the game and maybe let our defensive issues drop and then the team get back into it. They want to have a full performance. So, yeah, I think tomorrow will be um, a good eye-opener to see where exactly we're at. Look, we're against Italy, but as they keep saying, it's not the Italy of old. So it'll be very interesting to see how we go. I enjoyed your interaction with Ross Byrne during the week when you said to him, you know, you've been working on your game, you, you've come back a much better player, and he was kind of like, well, you might think that, but I've, I've been this player all the... He was spiky, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, like... What I really wanted to say was that, have you read the media at all? Do you read it? Do you know, do you read papers? Do you listen to the interviews or do you not bother with it? Because this is what people are saying. And Dan Sheehan just gave a look straight away to say, he's always been a good player. And then when Dan Sheehan got a chance to talk, he said, I think the media are very harsh on Ross. Um, so, yeah, it, it came across that way. But really, I was trying to say, what's changed? Has anything changed when he's like, nothing's changed. I've always been this player. But uh, yeah, it, it was... Uh, 
it was definitely spiky, but uh, that's what it's all about, isn't it? And look, he gets his chance tomorrow, so we'll definitely see then. And he's done so well off the bench in the last two games, so no doubt he'll have a big performance. What are the uh, conditions? Obviously, we would hope for dryness and um, our ability to fling the ball around a little bit. What are conditions like or expected to be like? It's at the moment. It's going to be highs about 17 today, and I think it's maybe 19 tomorrow. But there could be rain. Um, as I'm sitting here, there is trickles of rain. So um, yeah, hopefully it, it doesn't continue. But I think mostly it, it's set to be a dry day with yeah highs of 15 to 17 degrees, which is pretty nice and yeah perfect conditions for rugby. Yeah, it's freezing here, so uh, absolutely bite your arm off for that. It's so it's so cold. Yeah. What you you on a job? Was it one of those jollies you were on last night, like late into the morning job? Oh no, no, Adrian, I'm a professional. You didn't just wander into a, a venue with the Six Nations trophy. Oh, just you, <laughs> you're here too. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, obviously, I, I got to know a few of the fans. Um, obviously, I met the bar owner. I interviewed the bar owner. So, um, yeah, we had a bit of crack. Got my picture taken. All of that with the trophy. But uh, no, I was home in bed and all by, I'd say about twelve. So, mm, not too bad. Very respectful. Yeah, have to keep professional. Keep an eye on uh, OTB social channels over the afternoon. I'm sure there'll be plenty of uh, updates from the captain's run and, of course, over the weekend as well. Uh, enjoy, Ashley. Looks amazing. Fair play. Thank you. Brilliant, lads. Thanks so much. Bye. Cheers. Um, it's quite the setting. Like, mm. Rome there on one hand, Marbella on the other hand. It's like an us two schlecks you know in mean? the office all week. Yeah, I was thinking that uh, Kathleen over there was off to Marbella during the week. Cameron's also, Cameron Hill's in Rome. He's going to the match. Right. Shane Hannan there was at the United match last night. Uh, look at us. Schlepps. You were away the other week as well. You were in Prague. I was in Prague, do you know that? Yeah, yeah you should go. You'd, You'd enjoy it. Every other You'd enjoy it. Um, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's great to see OTB on the road. Yeah. What more of it, if anything? Uh, and we're going to hit the road now. Thanks many folks, Colm. Thanks. Well done, fair play. You didn't uh, do a Ross Byrne. You did show at times I thought there was going to be a bit of a Ross Byrne, but... No, I enjoyed your presenting. Just seeing you up close work is an honour. <laughs> Imro Award winning uh, sports broadcast of the year 2013. Thanks a million. Bear in mind. Thanks, so I'm with the we'll pro. do a longer fire pit next week. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. We never talk about that, actually. Um, OTBM um, brought to you by... He's just like He just continues to ramble and talk. Feel free to kill his mic anytime you want. Uh, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day Monday show it'll be Jaron Shane uh, bringing you the Gillette Labs performance rankings reaction to the weekend Six Nations National League Premier League and the League Cup final of course as well and right now we're going to leave you with some Brian McDermott former Reading manager he was in conversation a brilliant uh, chat with Nathan on last night's show have a joyous weekend Alright I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the former Reading and Leeds United manager Brian McDermott hey. OTB AM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.